Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and awkward ref bumps one of the most important eras of wrestling history. I am your host Dave, and this episode we'll be looking at another relatively fine pay-per-view in Uncensored 1997. We're taking the bumps with me. First up, Fergus Looney, how are you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. It's, it's always nice to do these, so I'm in a good mood, kick back, have a couple of drinks, I suppose, so looking forward to it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And from the other side of the pond, Connor, how are you keeping? Hey, yo, Dave, I'm, I'm keeping well, I'm keeping well. So we're back to drinking now, Gus? Oh, no, it's it's actually soft drinks. It's not that bad. <laughs> oh, well, I feel bad. I'm, I actually did grab a beer, so yeah, this episode is brought to you by 312. Yeah, I have I have an Elvis juice sitting there. Maybe if I want. So I'm I'm jealous. I didn't stock up for the episode. Oh man, you punted. Yeah, Dave. I am so excited. We finally got to review a glacier <laughs> match. I'm so happy because <laughs> you don't watch you don't watch all these nitros, and I, I had to watch all the promos, all the matches, the hype. It's real. I don't watch the nitros, but I do, of course, know of Glacier since he's in every top ten ridiculous uh, gimmick list I've ever seen. Him and Shockmaster. Yeah, but- until you've seen the Nitros, you won't understand how much this is hyped and built up because he's on it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, a lot of relevant things happened in the build-up to Uncensored, so we're going to jump straight into the Nitro recap. We are live chronicling the past month of Monday Night Nitro. So it's time for an update on the spray paint count. We are up to a total of 21 spray paints, and that's not including the show, of course. So we have Macho Man Randy Savage sprayed DDP after a distraction by the Outsiders, which kicked off the feud between these two. More on that later. So after Super Brawl, Bischoff stripped the tag team belts from Giant and Luger. Luger, he accepted this as long as the NWO put all the titles on the line at Uncensored, and the WCW committee sanctioned the match, but also gave Piper his own team. Which leads to one of the worst segments I've ever seen going over these Nitros. So I have to watch these so Gus and Dave don't have to. You're welcome, by the way. Thank this you, was just. I do try to watch them. I, I do try but to watch them. But you didn't watch this month, so. Not this fuck month. You. No. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> So Piper needs a team to take on the NWO, you know, a group that has humiliated Piper over the past few months. Piper decides to have a tryout live on air for his team. Who are these individuals, you ask? Well, they're random shoot buddies of Piper, one of which he has a boxing match with. Also, (laughs) Piper lets the crowd decide if they like the wrestlers or not. So as expected, this segment tanks hard. But we do get a random return of a wrestler that I thought was done with WCW. Can you guys guess who this guy is? I'll give you one hint. His only appearance was on our first show, Bash at the Beach 96. Is it? Oh, what's his name? Earthquake? Ding! It is John Tenta. Yeah. He just randomly shows up out of nowhere. I did not (laughs) see that coming. I love John. He's awesome, but they put him in a kilt the following week. It just looks like a (laughs) goon. Yeah, I was going to ask, was he still in his, like, shark gear, or? <laughs> no, he was, like, in his, t- his Tenta gear that we saw in his match against Bubba. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Unfortunate, right? Yeah, great team he got there, Piper. Great team. So, obviously, this gets changed to the Horsemen, of course. And I thought this would be a good time to talk about creative control, because wrestlers like Piper and Hogan, we've known that they have 
creative control in their contracts. And this is the results that we get of giving wrestlers power in how they're booked. You, you, th- you think this segment is directly through uh, creative control? You think this is all Piper's kind of stuff? Uh, it's rumor and innuendo that is that's the case, that this was Piper's doing and they wanted to like even stop the segment like live because it was tanking so bad. <laughs> I don't know if I believe any of that. I mean, but looking back at like maybe the past two months, past couple episodes that we've done and we've talked about the bullshit finishes, I'm like creative control has something to do with this. And also Piper had a promo at the spring break Nitro and he was just shooting hard on WWF for no reason. It made no sense of what was going on. That's that's part of why Piper has just been all over the place. So much yeah. like his usual promos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From what I, we've seen, <laughs> obviously. I hate backstage politics. It makes for nice drama and we get to dish on people from the past now. But as most marks do, I dislike the people who politic really hard backstage. And it's not only that Piper and Hogan book themselves in ridiculous stuff because you can kind of ignore that. But people manipulate, try and manipulate people like Piper and Hogan to get their way. So they can get booked how they want because that's what Hogan wants. And that's kind of what helps bring down this really good idea. People are just getting into the NWO not because it makes storyline sense, because they want to be friends with Hogan and they want to get booked in a certain way. And that's that leads to some real bad times, especially down the road. Ah, you're just a filthy mark. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of enjoy it, but purely because it's a historical point of view. Like, if I was watching WCW at the time regularly and I knew about this, it would piss me off, all right? But having said that, I watched WWF when Hunter was supposedly doing this, and I still loved it, so mm. who knows? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell because at the time, we don't know that they have creative control in their contracts. Whatever, it's just their character. But how do you separate the, the person and, the, and their character? Who knows? Good old wrestling, right? With, with Hogan, you don't. Is, is the answer but the, the the thing is we have to look at it this way is you, you are right back then such a tiny percentage of people knew about it such a tiny percentage of people you know bought the videotapes online or were on the online forums and stuff like that now such a large part of the audience are essentially marks because anyone just looks up their favorite wrestler online and they get to see all these rumors and what they're like in real life and what they're like backstage Back then, you didn't have a clue. Everyone thought Hogan was Hogan and Piper were Piper, and they hated each other to an extent. Even we're in this era of wrestling where everyone knows it's fake. They don't know the intricacies of the, I guess, planning or the fakeness of it. Yeah, well, we also have a new member of the NWO. So we are up to a total of 16 members. Yeah, it's gone up to uh, that, that great heights. Dennis Rodman is the newest member. Big news for the wrestling world. Uh, at the time, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were a huge deal. We mentioned the antics of Rodman on our Clash of the Champions bonus video episode. He comes from a rough upbringing, for sure. Kind of like wrestling, he made a strong bond with the bad boys of basketball when he played for the Pistons in the 80s. But after leaving his friends in Detroit, he kind of became the party animal rebel that we know today. And he seemed to fit perfectly in the Hollywood aspect of the NWO, because he actually recently starred in the wonderful film Double Team with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Fantastic. Top-notch. Did you guys know who Dennis Rodman was growing up? Obviously, me being from Chicago, this was a huge deal. I think the Bulls were so big, I I would have heard of Pippin, Rodman, Jordan, but nothing else, and I didn't actually ever watch anything to do with them. I never saw him play. Like, I wouldn't have watched basketball, but I knew who he was from pop culture and stuff like that. 
I think that's what makes us a huge deal. And plus, this is stealing Thunder away from WWF, which is is key here. Because WWF, there was rumors that they they were trying to sign him, but WCW gave him more money. Also, WrestleMania 13, which happened to be in Chicago several weeks later, and the media instead is talking all about Rodman instead. So we'll see if this expensive signing pays off later. In an actual match, I haven't seen his wrestling matches yet, so I cannot wait to review those. Because, of course, this is during the basketball season, so he cannot wrestle at this point. Yeah, I was I was curious. Was he suspended or something? And that's how he was able to do all these shows. But fair enough. He was suspended when we last talked about him on our video episode. But at this point, he was actually injured. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's awesome. Like, it's looked back at because he's such an eccentric character and the amount of money they paid him as maybe not the best proposition for them. But it got so many eyes on them. And I think that's forgotten sometimes looking back. It's not just a random celebrity. We'll get to some random celebrities later later on in our pay-per-view runs. But this guy, I think, matches up perfectly with the attitude of the NWO. He was already in that kind of niche, as you said, before he ever came to wrestling. So I think great job by WCW here. Yeah, very anti-establishment too. So I can't wait to see what uh, Karl Malone also brings into this feud as well. That's the one that I remember fondly the most. Finally, we need to end with our Sting update. So whose side is Sting on? So this month, it seems he's reluctantly joined the NWO. So the NWO presented Sting with his own NWO t-shirt. Hogan went in for a hug as well. No response from Sting. So the rest of the month, Sting kind of seems like he's in the NWO. He's been just in the background disinterested and that's kind of what's been happening with him for the the past month so that is all for this week on the nitro recap so now let's jump into uncensored 1997 so we get the opening intro with a voiceover explaining and going through all the feuds and matches on the card and the only thing i was reminded of while watching it is saved by the bell do you guys remember the intro for saved by the bell the kind of flashing colors. Be no more than <laughs> yes. But not the music. Very much the flashing images in the background. The graphics, yeah. yeah. Graphics. So, I was going to say I was too busy having an epileptic seizure because yes. of the flashing lights. If Pink Flamingo and a pair of sunglasses would have flown back in the background, I would have said there was a reason for a lawsuit for Safe by the Bell. It was very distracting and it comes up later on in the show as well. But yeah, just a normal package. Quick recap on what all the matches are and why they're there. I thought it was kind of a, a downturn from what we've been seeing the past couple of months, unfortunately. But, eh, oh well, WCW, that's what they do. They don't care. No. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the guys, the announcers do a better job of recapping it, it seems. Agreed. They focus. We, we jump to the guys in the commentary table. Not much to comment about on their outfits this time, unfortunately. Very normal for the trio. We get mostly a recap of what the main event's about, because the main event is full of rules. Absolutely packed full of rules. They go through what the NWO have to lose which is if they lose the match, they are suspended for three years. They cannot, well, they cannot be in WCW-sanctioned matches, it's worded. And they have to give up all their belts, which seems like terrible, terrible EV. This does not seem like a good match <laughs> for them to be in. I wonder if they're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's <laughs> I, that was my first thought. I'm like, it's not believable that WCW team would lose because they would lose all of this. I spoke to a, coll- a work a colleague of mine today, who knows a little bit about wrestling and I explained to him the three things that were at stake and he was like well obviously that team wins right I'm like yep (laughs) very specifically they have to uh sorry WCW has to win not only NWO has to lose for that to happen because if Roddy's team wins Roddy gets Hogan alone in a steel cage at the next 
pay-per-view. Uh, they don't explain this here, but if the NWO wins, they get a title shot of their choice, the way they're wording it. They word it as in multiple title shots, but I'm not sure if that's actually how it works. Yeah, the stipulations change from week to week, basically. So yes. just just forget about it. <laughs> Especially this whole show. Like, everything's stupid. Just enjoy it. Just sit back and enjoy it. Am I, am I to believe, I presume correctly, that Roddy not, has yet again asked for a, a match with the world champion without the title on the line? That's what it sounds like. Because <laughs> that's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> he never learns. Well, I mean, he didn't ask for this match. He was just kind of put into the match. It was more Luger's doing of this. So thanks, Luger. But I mean, at that point, you're like, get the best out of it you can get, Roddy. (laughs) (laughs) We jump straight from the segment into our opening match, which is a no-DQ match between Milenko and Eddie Guerrero for the US Championship. This is a continuation of the Super Brawl kind of nonsense that went on, the way that Eddie kind of lost the match for uh, and the cruiserweight title for Malenko. Two of my favorite kind of workers in here though I am expecting a bit more of Eddie. I've heard good things about this match and he hasn't performed so far. Malenko comes out to some his normal entrance and Eddie comes out to some pyro but is looking all business, kind of ignores it. And this is our first reappearance of Randy Anderson since his suspension by Bischoff suspends him, isn't that right, Connor? On Nitro? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is Randy Anderson, good old Randy Anderson, back in. And I didn't mention that it's it's not really explained very well. Bischoff was supposed to be suspended, so then people were like hired back, but Bischoff's like, ah, I'm not suspended. But I was like, all right, that was a waste of time. <laughs> I wasn't even going to mention that in the recap, but I forgot about Anderson getting rehired. So, yep, that that was the thing that oh, happened. That's wonderful. Yeah, so we're going through this, you know, all the NWO's decisions have been kind of reversed and the WCW have the upper hand for this pay-per-view as a kind of overlaying team. And one thing to point out, too, about Dean's entrance, it's not really the the typical one. He doesn't do the wrist rub. Very important. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's true. It's true. So this match is just some kind of typical early chain wrestling Dean gives Eddie a big shoulder tackle at the start of the match, sending him to the outside, kind of setting the pace and the tone for the match. A lot of, I don't know, I, I don't know how to phrase it, a lot of kind of stronger moves, a lot more nastier, a lot more stomps. We get a mud hole stomping by both men in the corner, uh, some hot headed offense, real personal. But Dusty gives the best piece of, uh, commentary of maybe all time he says the word stomping a mud hole about seven times in the same sentence now, hey, look at Eddie. yeah he turned around now stomping the mud hole they both got like mud hole stomping on the mind and both of them have commenced to go into the mud hole stomping earlier and now the mud hole stomping is standing up stomping the mud hole in the other guy brain yes you just heard it from our director of mud holes dusty Rhodes. thanks green dusty loves mud holes and he <laughs> and he mentions it about 700 times. Dusty is something else on this pay-per-view. He, oh, yeah. He is just... The whole commentary... I can't wait to talk about it more in later <laughs> matches, but... Yeah. They are all over the place on this in this show. I don't know what it is. They're definitely drinking. They must have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dusty absolutely loves, uh, loves this pay-per-view. He is very much enjoying his time. Cameras go backstage a little bit into the match for a second, and we see Hall, Nash, and Six standing over who looks like Rick Steiner. He's on his stomach, so we don't know. And he's saying, we hear them say, you know, the Steiners are getting so unfortunate recently. Commentary don't really see it either. So kind of guessing at who it is, which distracts me from the match for a little bit. At least it was during the rest hold, so I, I didn't think it really hurt the match that much. 
yeah. It, the, the first one doesn't hurt. All right. Yeah, I'll give you that. But the the big eyesore is in the first one though, and I noticed it right away. <laughs> Did you see what Kevin was wearing? No. Was it a tank like a belly top? Oh no, it's it's not the top. So no. Kevin is wearing like his typical do rag and merchandising on the top. He's wearing khaki pants or khaki shorts, <laughs> and then he's wearing socks and sandals. <laughs> brown brown sandals with white tube socks. That's how you like, get over with the kids, I hear. Unreal. Like, <laughs> and as soon as I saw it, couldn't not see it. Couldn't not see it the rest of the thing. Every time they cut away, I'm like, he's still wearing them. He's still wearing them. This is atrocious. <laughs> and they just keep cutting back to you. You're like, oh no. It's yeah. Back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we get our first bit of no DQ action, I guess, because the stipulation doesn't matter for a lot of the match, where Dean grabs the belt and hits Eddie in the gut and across the back. I think Eddie is acting the most heelish. It's really hard to tell in some Dean Malenko matches, but Eddie's doing a lot of shouting, and he's targeting the knee with drop kicks, and he's giving, you know, those long stares at the crowd when they start to turn on him. Oh, and then we get uh, put backstage again, we see Rick getting put on the stretcher. And for me, this one goes on a little bit too long. How about you guys? Yeah, I don't need to see it. I also don't need to hear people improvise dialogue, which is really cringy between the three lads because Kevin just feels like he has to keep talking to make it seem like a natural thing. And it's not natural in the slightest. Yeah, why don't they just walk off? Why aren't they? Oh, it wasn't us. Let's walk away. Also, I don't mind them going backstage for a second during another kind of Eddie's doing a lot of, I said, heel work and working on the knee. I don't mind a bit of a break, but it's so long. They focus on it for so long. Just show that there's a stretcher crew there and never go back to it. That's fine. And they could just do it like between matches as well. It's like, you have to do this in the middle of the match though? Come on. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a pay-per-view. I don't know why you need to do it in the middle of a match. I like some of Eddie's small touches in this match. He's doing a lot of typical heel working on a body part viciously. But it's stuff like uh, the example I have here is he wraps Steen's leg around the post and he drop kicks it. And that's just something we haven't seen in a bit. And I think as we go on with some of these matches, there's a bit of repetitiveness. There's always going to be that repetitiveness when you're only watching pay-per-views. But I'm starting to see the Eddie Guerrero I kind of like in this match. Yeah, I actually love the kind of progression here. This is kind of the, the mid-90s add to era coming out here. We're, we're basically seeing... Shades of gray from both wrestlers, which is really cool. And it's really hard to tell kind of who's supposed to be good. I mean, they're supposed to be both kind of in the middle. Yeah. From from their promos and the way they've wrestled in the past month as well. What's what's going on here with these guys? And their promos have been kind of weird. They're like, oh, we've wrestled with each other a bunch. We have like a history. We're kind of just giving you hints here. It sounds like that both wrestlers have like something to hide here. Something's like underneath the surface. Obviously, there's that's not true, but that's what it seems like for sure. Yeah, completely agree. And again, after a bit more heelish maneuvers, we get our third shot of the ambulance actually leaving. And this was ridiculous. Why? Did, like, we saw him be put on the stretcher. Did anyone assume he got off the stretcher? Did anyone think, oh, no, I'm actually fine now. I'm ready for the match. We get it. We get it, WCW. He's he's in the yeah. ambulance. We all care about Rick Steiner, too. I mean, we can't live <laughs> without him. <laughs> yeah, the most important part of that WCW team. So integral and so well built up at that moment, I find. If it, as if it's not bad enough that you have to watch it so many times. The, each time the announcers have to cut away from the match and start talking about that angle as well. So they're taken out of the match too, and then they have to come back to it and readjust and figure out what's going on. So it really takes you out of what should be important, which is in the ring. 
not the angle that they could have done at any time other than this. Of course we have to get in these matches, woo, figure four, right in the middle of the <laughs> ring that doesn't finish the match. Gimmick infringement. <laughs> gimmick infringement. At le- yeah, at least Rick is not wrestling at this point. Yeah, true. Just this division of guys, this group of kind of mid-card good workers, just love slapping on some famous finishers that don't end up, uh, end matches for some reason. Eddie's screaming at Dean that he's going to break his leg, and Dean eventually getting the breakup by putting a thumb in Eddie's eye, or that's what the commentary call it. It's just kind of a strike. A spot I really like by Eddie in the middle of the match is some real stiff-looking European uppercuts. When he goes for the third one, there's an attempt at a backside pin by Dean. Eddie flips out and just hits another European uppercut the second he lands. I thought that was kind of cool. Not a lot of pin attempts in this up to this point. I, I noticed in my in my notes, which is really cool. No, I, I think it's a really nice storytelling. Both guys kind of hate each other. This goes back to kind of the grayness of it. Both guys are just out there to hit each other. They don't, they don't care what the crowd thinks. They don't care too much about the pins. Nasty spot when Dean is on the outside, leaning against the guardrail. Eddie comes off the top, and Dean moves and kind of pushes Eddie into the guardrail so it looks like he takes it rib first after this i have noted but not because it's that special that dean takes out the guardrail and drops eddie chest first into it but i thought it was funny because the crowd just politely put it back for them (laughs) the security guards don't come over i'm like i was kind of wondering in my head i'm like aren't they afraid the fans will pour through and the fans just politely lifted it up and put it back for the wrestlers you you love to see that and i wanted to bring it up because doing my research for this i found an article that was just like 1997 Uncensored had the nicest crowd of all time. And it's just a picture of people and they're all so polite and there's no fights. And it's like men, women, young, old, just everyone represented there having a good good time. It's just this really weird article. Huh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They also participate in a weapons match later. So, all right, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> just super nice crowd. After this, Eddie gets fired up with some offense. He takes the singlet down so you know he means business. Eddie lands on his feet after a uh, tilt-a-whirl attempt and goes for a clothesline. Dean ducks and grabs Eddie's back, standing switch by Eddie, and Dean low blows him with a backward kick. As Eddie lands, he hits Dean with the low blow, again, one of our only uses of kind of the non-DQ rule. I don't know what it is about you guys, but like, of course I love Dean Malenko, but his power slams always look amazing. Like, is this just me? I love his power slams. He's really crisp with them. Yeah, I think the only person I can think up there is I actually like Randy Orton's power slam a lot, and I think Dean does it better. It's just a real clean whip on it and always a lot of momentum. Yeah, very few people I see this this big of a pop for power slams. He does it like every pay-per-view and just seems to get better and better. Yeah, Dean hits a really nice one before hitting a frog splash off the top rope with a massive grin yeah, on his face. I was really surprised by that, just because when we've been watching Dean, he just doesn't really have emotion a lot of the time and he's like really relishing the fact that he's gonna pummel eddie at this point because he just pulls him up after the pin he's like no i'm not done (laughs) you're like oh what's going on with dean all of a sudden so it's a nice change for him it's nice to see a little bit more character a little bit more that he's bringing to it just than i'm an awesome wrestling machine yeah, I wish I saw it more. And it, was, it wasn't it was just a, a smile. There's a lot of, like, it's sinister. There's a sinister edge to it. And he's really relishing hurting Eddie, which is something, yeah, you're completely right. We don't see in his character. And I think he needed a lot more during his career. Yeah, I, I love this spot, except, you know, when he pulls up Eddie, I was like, oh, that's kind of dumb. But then he tries to go for a pin shortly after. I was like, yeah. oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. that's a bit stupid. Yeah. yeah, you have to go full hog, I think, at that stage. But afterwards, he sets up Eddie for a big powerbomb, but Eddie reverses it with a head scissors takedown. 
commentary pointing out how silly it was by Dean not finishing the match. So last kind of sequence of the match, Eddie hits a knee in the corner and then a tornado DDT. He goes for a bit of finisher theft with a cloverleaf, nice cloverleaf as well, sinks in, and then Six comes out to steal the belt. Eddie catches him before he can leave by the hair, pulls him onto the apron, and they do this tug-of-war thing where the ref tries to break them up. I thought it was an ODQ match, I'm not sure where the ref is getting involved, but the ref gets involved. Six tries to hit him with a camera that he's brought out, but misses dropping it into the ring. Eddie finally wrestles the title back off him, goes to hit Milanko with it, but misses and Dean hits him with the camera to pick up the win. It's trying to mimic their previous encounter, a bit of a callback. Again, I'm a little annoyed because it's a no DQ match and I'm not sure why the ref has to get involved in six at all. So that doesn't make much sense, especially since none of the rest of the match really needed that no DQ stipulation (laughs) to be there. It was just a good wrestling match and two spots required them to have no DQ and that was a low bro and a title shot that didn't need to be there. So what do you guys think of this finish and the stipulation? I'll let Gus go first because I know he's going to shit on the finish. <laughs> it's it's almost like they didn't consider the finish at all, Dave, with the rest of the pay-per-view. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I would not be shocked if, if somebody were to ask Dean or Eddie and go, did you know it was an ODQ match when they came out? Nope. Okay, right, fine, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to say that the finish is grand and whatever, but... It's crap because it's no DQ. I don't I don't get it. Also, I'd love to say this is the only time this happens on the pay-per-view, but it's not. <laughs> I enjoyed it mainly in the sense that I thought Dean was going to lose because when Dean pulls up Eddie, I was like, oh, dumb. He's going to lose now because, you know, you're, you're being foolish by not pinning them. It's like, all right, it's going to it's going to bite you in the ass later on. And then, oh, Dean, Dean wins. He's the champion now. Oh, wow. I, I didn't think they were going to pull the trigger on Dean here. So... The finish was pretty stupid, but crowd was really into it, I thought, too. That was the other good point. Yeah. I can't say yeah. that about other matches. Yeah, and yeah. we kind of have like a slight double turn-ish. Kind of like Eddie's kind of the heel and Dean comes out almost the face. Overall, I thought it was a great match. I I, I enjoyed it. And I thought it was probably one of our better, better uh, Eddie matches, too. I think Eddie finally shows some character. Like we were saying how Dean has that smirk on his face when he hits the frog splash and how that is a character development. But Eddie has been uncharacteristically bland. I'm so used to him on WWF TV where he had such a pronounced character. I was not ready for the bland, whiter than bread kind of baby face Eddie that we had got so far. So I'm really happy to see this kind of mean streak in him. Yeah, outside of the finish, it's a really good match. They tell a really good story. They build each other's characters. It's cool to see Dean win a title outside of the cruiserweight belt. So it kind of shows that he's like capable of taking on other people, which is really interesting as well. It's good. It's a really good opener. Yeah. What do you guys think about stealing each other's finishers? I mean, I know we've seen that. We've complained about it of wrestlers stealing finishers of other wrestlers in other matches. But what about somebody that's feuding and you steal their finisher to kind of try to win one over over them? I think when it's done correctly, it's interesting. I think when it's overdone and later in the Attitude Era, it gets very overdone. It gets boring and predictable. But when you pull it out against someone that you have a kind of blood feud with, if you really hate and you want to embarrass them, that makes storytelling sense. When you do it just because you're in a feud with someone, not as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I thought it really worked here because I was not expecting a frog splash from Dean. Loved it. It was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I thought it was cool because they, they've built up enough history now for that to work, that they would have learned something from each other. So I thought it was good. <laughs> We go from uh, a great match, great opening match, I think we all agree, to Mean Gene in the locker room with some hotline shilling. 
This time, a WCW wrestler is gone, hit the road, never to come back. We wonder who it is, but the hotline knows if you give them a call. Do you know who it is? No. Gus? Yeah, I meant to look this up. Uh, I meant to Disco look it up. Inferno. It's, it's, so this was the whole... Oh, uh, yeah. He was supposed to wrestle Jacqueline, but he refused to put her over type of thing. So he got <laughs> fired, but we will see that match down the line, though. What is fantastic oh, is how that story has, you know, aged like a fine wine. Because now all Disco Inferno does with his time is give out about the new wrestlers and how they're not willing to do things to entertain the fans and put other people over and how they can't work. And Disco walked out of the company when he was a newbie because he refused to put uh, put someone else over and do something entertaining for the fans. It is like a like a fine wine, fantastic. <laughs> poor uh, Disco, dis- uh, poor Disco, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I was kind of being ironic, ish, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Gene runs through the WCW and NWO team, hyping him up a bit, and then intros Piper. I am not going to attempt to break down what Piper says. I didn't understand it. There's something about his team and horsemen. And out come the horsemen. So I guess I guess that's what he was talking about. <laughs> I actually thought this was one of his better promos. Because <laughs> <laughs> it actually made sense to me. He was actually way more to the point. Like he still had rambling metaphors. Don't get me wrong. But it actually, you could get what, what the gist was. He's like, I didn't pick this team. Why should I trust them? And then he goes through everybody and is like points out all their fa- faults and flaws. <laughs> he, he does say something I didn't quite get it about how he didn't trust him because Rick and Arn weren't going to be there. So we're getting the the B team and Chris, Mongo, and Jeff. Because, of course, we know at this stage Arn isn't going to be back and Rick is still injured for a couple months. Jeff does his very best to try and kind of wrangle this into a very normal promo. But Piper does not let that happen he gets it right back off track at every point he can mongo runs through a very kind of old school promo where he's just telling them how great his team is and how bad the heels are and what he's going to do once he gets his hand on them and chris keeps his part of it concise tells him you know piper's made it the right choice out through his whole career which is a very ironic thing to say and (laughs) that he's made the right choice this time Benoit's full plank in this. Like, he's wooden <laughs> yeah. as as all things. It's unreal how bad it is. It's a great distinction, too, because you are you know, you know go from Piper, like, screaming, ah, yeah. and then you go to Benoit. Uh, like, what? Yeah, yeah. Like, I had, like, what? What were you saying? Yeah. It's like, loads oh. of screaming, and then, huh? I'm, I'm going to kill them real hard, guys. What? What's that, Chris? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to hurt them. <laughs> so is he yeah. like mumbly Joe from Dilbert? He's like yeah, yeah basically. I, I, that that's my tape, that's my stapler. Yeah. <laughs> but no, actually, going back to Mongo, I actually I actually liked his part of the promo the best, actually, because I thought it was a great callback for pointing out Luger at the at Fall Brawl, crawling away from the ring, kind of. I like how he said he's going to show. Who's the icon of Chicago is? He's like, a basketball player? What? Those guys aren't tough. So I, I, I like that, being from Chicago. I kind of like the, the little internal rivalry from there. M- Mongo's makes most sense and is most concise. Jeff is very much not doesn't know what Piper is saying. So he's trying to get Piper on track, which is a mistake. And <laughs> Chris's is kind of irrelevant. My, my favorite part of the promo, though, Piper asks how to put up the number four. Like, 
come on, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, how do I do this symbol? And like, how do I do this symbol? What? Really? <laughs> yeah. The most cringeworthy thing since the Nitro Girls has said after this, though. Gene runs out of time, so says we were going to interview the WCW Queen Deborah, but we've run out of time. Back to you, Tony. Tony says, "Well, Gene, we don't have to talk to her. We just need to look at her sometimes." Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did not hear that the first time. I'm glad oh. I didn't. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Deborah. She just gets a blow a kiss, and we go back to the next match, which is Psychosis versus Ultimo Dragon. I'm pretty excited for this one. Dragon comes out to some pyro, which seems to surprise him and Sonny Ono. And Ono, very far ahead of his time, takes some selfies with Dragon that are going to end up on the WCW website, apparently. Don't know if they ever did. And yeah, he's just light years ahead of his time. Bad guys taking selfies. Yeah, it's kind of a continuation of him like taking pictures of Dean Malenko when we did that that feud. Yeah, yeah. They they seem to really respect and push Dragon as well, which I'm happy with. As I said, never saw Dragon before this podcast and have been pleasantly surprised by his work. We, of course, get Iron Mike Tanay out for the Cruiserweight bout, which I'm always thankful for. Keeps the commentary a bit tighter. So no, I don't know about this match, to be honest. But <laughs> no, I kind of wish they'd get rid of one of the guys when they brought him in. Four is just way too many people to have in the boot, and he gets mm-hmm. overshadowed by Tony sometimes, who's essentially doing the same job in commentary as he is. Yeah, I even, I even think three people is too many. So yeah, four? Yeah. Ugh, forget about it. Yeah. We got some good chain wrestling to start off the match with a lot of kick bumps and reversals to start. And the crowd do not care at the very start. They do not know who to cheer for. They do not know who to boo. As both of them are not American, so both of them are heels? Question mark? I mean, Dragon's nominally the heel because of his manager, I guess. Yeah, Psychosis doesn't really warm himself up to crowds very well, though, yet. He's still very young, but he doesn't do many face-esque moves for me to kind of turn crowds like this. But when they go, when the camera pans on Ono says, see how superior Japanese wrestlers are, and he'd be happy to know nothing has changed this very day. <laughs> yep, yep. I actually wanted to point out, too, so... When we're when when they have the camera on Sonny Ono, they they usually have the cameraman on the apron, but I love that they have the shot from the floor. It's like Sonny in the the foreground, West wrestlers in the background. I yeah. just wanted to get my due diligence of saying, good job WCW of a nice good shot. You can see everything. Really good job by the cameraman, whoever that was. Yeah, because it's framed yeah. really really well. Yeah, gotta actually agree. I was a little distracted in this match again by the crowd. There's a guy in the front row, right in most camera shots for the pay per view. Uh, a guy in sting face paint but he's just in a shirt and jeans besides that and he's not very rowdy he just kind of sits there peering into my very soul he just sits there and politely enjoys it and every now and again gives a bit of applause you guys know this guy yeah he he never really reacts to anything (laughs) from what i can remember Maybe it is Sting. You never know when it's just Sting. In the crowd, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never, you never know. We're gonna get a lot of that in '97, guys. So better get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, know, I noticed the fan, the, uh, the guy that's wearing the Detroit Red Wings jersey. I mean, this is in South Carolina, so Red Wings <laughs> wow. jersey down all the way in the south. Uh, I don't know. That, they're in that, a hockey. They're really in a hockey exactly. arena, though, aren't they? Maybe actually, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think so. The, I thought they make a reference at some point to the floor. Yeah, you might be right. It might be like a minor league hockey team, so I'll just... That on top of the earth, <laughs> as Brain points out. I, I, there's a cool spot here that I've never seen before, actually. Dragon is whipped into the corner and tries to re- leapfrog over Psychosis when he runs in. Psychosis catches his leg and just pushes him off. Dragon does a headstand on the top turnbuckle. I've never seen that before. Yeah, ever. it's impressive. 
super impressive. And when Psychosis runs back in to stop him, he gets drop kicked in the face for his problem. That's well, super athletic. You're 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 missing out the point where he tries running in and Dragon does split legs for yeah. a little bit. So he's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and then tries to go in and gets drop kicked. It's, I'd, I'd never seen so, anything like that before from a wrestler. No, it's, to this day, I've never yeah. seen anything like that. Psychosis hits a leg drop with a decent hang time from the top and then follows it up with a weird second rope elbow that's a lot less impressive than the leg drop. Later, Psychosis hits a spinning heel kick off the top rope, then a suicide dive over the top to the outside. Like the, do we call it the taker dive? Is it officially the taker dive? That's what I have in my notes. Exactly, taker dive. <sighs> what do they call this? Springboard... Top con Hilo, I think. It's what Iron Mike says it is. <laughs> That's yeah. what he calls it? Or yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, my, the problem with me, and this is what happens in the other matches too, I have my notes, that commentary, it's, they're too jokey. And particularly at oh this boy. point, like, yeah. we're seeing impressive moves. It's just like, oh, we're just having a good time. This is funny, isn't it? It's like, what? They just keep oh, no. burying Mike for knowing words. And that joke has been running since the first episode we've had Mike on. And it's been less and less funny every time. And it also do- it's dominating more and more matches. Doing it once or twice to, you know, show Mike is the brain box is fine. But every time he says something that isn't suplex, they're on him. And it's starting to wear it in. Yeah, it's, a, it's at this point that Mike tries to build up how, like, Ultimo's been in and out of the country loads. Because he's also wrestling in Mexico or whatever. And Bobby decides to tell everybody that he goes by Rickshaw. Yep. Uh, which That's then spar- spawns oh, this like I almost forgot about this oh, my three God. four minute bit that they just keep going back to and like Dusty is pissing himself laughing the entire time because <laughs> it's ridiculous and then she, they talk about Tijuana and how yeah. Psychosis learned how to wrestle in Tijuana with Ray and Dusty yeah. thinks this is hilarious because of course Tijuana no, is Dusty, you- Dusty tries to hold it together and he's like oh I, I went down to Tijuana once not for that though. <laughs> by rickshaw, he says that he went yeah. by rickshaw down to Tijuana. Yeah. You're just oh, <laughs> yeah. It, it is getting hard, and I hope this gets better into the future. But I feel like when they don't, it feels like the commentators themselves aren't invested in the wrestlers. How are we supposed to be? Yep. There's been there's been no reason for the match in the first place. That's it's also a harder sell. Yeah, like, Tanay t- tries like his best again. It's just like, oh, first singles bout between these two, and they talk about the J Crown a little bit that Dragon doesn't have the J Crown anymore. So, oh, okay. And then they kind of like, oh, what's the J Crown? Oh, it's like this eight belt thing. It's like, that's it. It's like, right. He's like, remember when you came <laughs> to the ring with all those belts? That thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight after this exchange outside, Psychosis gets back in and does a sling shot leg drop which looks impressive, but almost looks like he breaks his leg. His leg is, like, caught for a second, and I was afraid that he had done something to it. It looked a little nasty. Is it? Is this the one to the outside? Yeah. When yeah. When he does the springboard it, one. It's so bad the commentators bring it up. Yeah. Like, like, they immediately, like, I think they assume that he's messed up, and they try to cover him, and they're like, oh, doesn't look like he got all of it there. And, I mean, it looks like there's something wrong with his leg. I'm like... Yeah, it looks it looks like a completely messed the move. Uh, that's why what's up. A, a couple missed leg drops actually in this. I'll point I'll point them out later in the show. But a couple botched leg drops. So, Psychosis after this then goes for a senton onto the uh, onto the apron. Dragon is on the actual apron, but Dragon like pushes him off with his feet to the outside. 
hits a springboard onto Psychosis off the guardrail and an, an Acai Moonsault, which he's known for. Dragon distracts the ref when he goes back into the ring and lets Sonny attack Psychosis. And this is probably the biggest surprise of the match for me. Psychosis blocks the first kick by Sonny, but then Sonny hits a pretty impressive spinning back kick and shows that he's a better wrestler than the majority of the people in the main event. <laughs> Didn't know Sonny had this in him. Yeah, what do you guys think about this? I mean, does this kind of hurt Psychosis at all? I thought it was sweet. But I, I I know this can be like you don't want your manager like looking better than a wrestler really. Well, I think strangely this hurts Sonny more because now Sonny looks competent, and what you want Sonny to be is this like sniveling heel that sometimes gets caught and gets beat up. That's probably his role. You don't want to actually show that Sonny could just kick someone in the head and has that ability. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty true, actually. I hadn't thought of it like that because yeah, you want him to be putting Ultimo in bad spots as the heel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But if he can take care of himself, then yeah. I thought it was sweet, though, because it was so random. I was like, oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it, but probably not something your he- very heelish manager should be doing. Uh, I do love Sonny's excuse to the referee. The referee comes out to check what happens. And he, I don't know what happened. I think he slipped. I think he had an accident. <laughs> it's so <Yeah>. good. <laughs> Sonny's the shit. I love Sonny. Yeah, Sonny's great. I, I had never really heard of him before the cast, but this is this is fantastic stuff. Uh, back in the ring, we get uh, some pin attempts with reversals and kickouts at two. Lead to Psychosis up top. Dragon tries to follow. Psycho- Psychosis tries to hit a superplex, but it ends up both of them doing, you know, the kind of face-first suplex for both of them, and they both get hurt. We get a big running powerbomb by Dragon for a two-count again. Dragon, uh, Dragon puts Psychosis up top and hits him with a kind of tornado DDT that looks a bit weird. And then he hits a tiger suplex for a clean one to three win. Did this? So, what do you think this DDT was supposed to be? Because it looked weird to me. That's not meant to be a DDT. I think he's meant to be doing a dragon rana, <laughs> which is completely oh, he, different. He did do a dragon rana from that exact setup like two pay per views yeah. ago. Yeah, so that yeah, makes that's, a, that's his go to. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why he didn't do it. That was kind of weird. He, I think he, com- he slipped. I don't know who's at fault, but one of them completely messes up the move. Like I'd have to go back and watch it again, but he's definitely trying to do a Hurricane Rana of some some kind, and it just doesn't work. And he he kind of just saves it into a DDT. Yeah, I thought it was good recovery yeah. then. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say considering I'm not just saying that's a complete botch and it's only weird. Yeah, that's a pretty good yeah. save. It's just a bit messy. The the Tiger Suplex looks sweet though. Like, he does have the yep. perfect bridge on it, and that was sweet. And I don't the botches were there, but it is nice that they looked like wrestling moves. Opposed to someone just fell and we both sold it, even though one of us fell. You know, I hate that kind of stuff. What do you think of the match, guys? It was good. I, I liked it. I mean, there's no, I mean, there's no story. There's nothing for it. But I liked seeing Ultimate Dragon. I liked seeing Sonny Ono. And Psychosis, we haven't seen him since the first episode. Or, no, I'm sorry. We saw him at Halloween Havoc, I think. He had that bad match with Dean. So we finally saw him in just a decent match. So I'm I'm okay with it. And it's early in the card, so thumbs up for me. I like how Sunday demands challengers for Dragon. Doesn't matter, NWO or WCW. So uh, putting over Dragon, I thought I thought the match was uh, successful. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. it. It's a bit messy in spots. Just, I don't know, because of miscommunications or whatever it is, but... Really, really good. I, I really enjoyed it. It's I think I enjoyed it more than the previous match for some reason. Maybe because they just do messier and stupid stuff in it. And the handstand. It's kind of hard hard to forget the handstand. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I like the work rate better in this match. The story I like in the first match better, though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Something I'm starting to get a little annoyed by Psychosis. He's definitely a good worker, but he seems a little... 
sloppy. I think the mistakes here are Psychosis's fault. And sometimes I feel like he's trying to do more than he's capable of. That he's a bit slower or a bit too big, a bit slower than he's supposed to be. And he misses some spots. Not usually. And he's still entertaining to watch. But he does bring a bit of sloppiness to these matches, I think. Next, we go back to Gene again. This time on the ramp. Promoting the hotline a bit more because you just gotta. And DDP's music hits. He comes out. Gene interviews him a little bit. Asks him about his feud with Savage. For Savage to come out onto the uh, kind of platform where the announce table is. To taunt DDP a bit. There's a gentleman by the name of the Macho Man, Randy Savage. He will not acknowledge you. He will not give you the time of day. He will not give the devil his due. And I would assume at this juncture, it's starting to grate on your nerves. You know something, Gino? These people out here, they know my name. They certainly do. There was some hint from our broadcast colleagues that maybe you might be subbing tonight for an injured Rick Steiner in that big triangle affair. Hey, Macho, you hear that? The chat of DDP. I came here for one reason and one reason only, to acknowledge the fact that since getting knocked on my coconut by Savage and him jumping into my zone, that ever since I've asked him to accept the challenge from DDP, he has refused to even acknowledge me. So I'm here tonight to tell you, Savage, I've said it once, I'll say it again, back the camera up. Macho, if you're that much of a Savage, snap into this. Macho shows up on the announce table, which is kind of elevated next to the kind of ramp. Macho says he's misjudged DDP. He's cool and he respects him. Randy takes out a Playboy. Is a Playboy or Penthouse? I thought it was like celebrity. It was like hot celebrities. I think some kind of magazine. I think they said like nude celebrities by some other company, but as far as I know, it's actually a Playboy. That it's actually a Playboy. Okay. Yeah. She, he flicks through it and shows that the centerfold is DDP's wife, Kimberly. DDP is distraught by this and says, don't go there, which I don't get. I, I don't get why DDP is mad here, but okay. Well, I, he's about to talk about his woman, like, I think is, is the point. <laughs> but his woman is in that magazine. It's not like he's got private images of it or taking pictures of her or he's just saying your wife is so hot. This is I literally think, a public magazine anyone can buy. I think the inclination is that Savage is about to be very particular about what he would like to do to his, uh, DDP's wife. Sure. <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth, who is wit. Uh, Savage holds up the centerpiece and it's been sprayed over so NWO is covering any lewd shots and DDP is getting all riled up. We then get Kimberly coming out crying covered in spray paint distracting DDP who gets attacked by the macho man and while DDP is down he starts to get sprayed. Gene is on the mic throughout all of this kind of doing running commentary on this. <laughs> it's dire. which is the weirdest and then Kimberly of course tries to protect her man by covering up which leads to Savage and Elizabeth spraying her back Gene says something that he really shouldn't hear either 
Jean shouts, are you responsible for this? Pointing to Kimberly. And then says, you just Pearl Harbored the man. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Pearl Harbored the man. <laughs> Elizabeth also gets on the mic and tells Kimberly that she should be happy that the NWO loves her now. This is a really weird combination of very cringy because it kind of feels like they're shaming the woman for being in the magazine, but also superb heel work. And this is the most character I think I've ever seen Elizabeth show. Yeah, this whole segment's really weird. You're going to have to understand, like, explain some of this to me. I mean, first of all, DDP promo I thought was like, as a face promo, it's like, man, I miss these kind of face promos that are just like spot on. Like, I really over with the crowd. It's very rare these days. So I, I thought I thought the DDP promo was excellent. It's really refreshing because a lot of the promos at this stage are still, and I call them that, old school. And it's like, I'm great and he's great, but I'm going to beat him up. DDP's is kind of more attitude era face. I don't care about anyone else. I'm here for the fans and me. And it's, it's concise and it's great. Uh, yeah, I loved his promo. Uh, I also loved his shirt. I really want to get one. <laughs> like it even says "self high five on the back, which was yeah. which was amazing. Mean Gene is all over the place in this in this uh, promo. Uh, I think. Same thing with Savage. He's like, brother, 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 brother. <laughs> oh, I I had this written down. Like Randy can't stop saying brother. He's like brother. I'm like, is are, do you have to say it now because you're in the NWO? Uh, like, did Hogan say, you got to use my words, brother. Okay, brother, 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 brother. His promo doesn't really make much sense. Um, no, it's like, you're the man, your wife's hot. It's like, hot. thank you, yeah. right? Like, how is he supposed to get angry at you? The, the commentary team is confused as to where Randy comes out, despite the fact he's standing in front of them. <laughs> front of them. Uh, <laughs> which is a complete fuck up. Mean Gene thinks he's coming out from the other side. Because he, he tells DDP to look that way. So there's a whole mess up there on the camera angles and stuff. And then me and Gene at the very end being disgusted by the whole act. And he's like, how could anybody do such a thing? Somebody do something. I mean, you're right there. I mean, like you could try something if you really cared that much. <laughs> and instead he's just, this is despicable. Despicable. As he like peers closer into what's going on. <laughs> uh, it's such a weird mixture of things. Like DDP stuff is totally great, and then uh, Elizabeth, like I agree with you guys, is excellent as the heel because he's like, Elizabeth, stop this, and she's like, Ha, oh, Randy, stop, and he's like, What? And he's like, Let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although her spray paint job is awful, Randy has to come in like, Let me and do it again. S- yeah. <laughs> let me do it again for you. <laughs> yeah, he has he has to correct it. Randy is a bit all over the place, but I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to be like smarmy and sarcastic and bring ddp's wife into it i think back then it's like very much a product of its time he's coming off as he's kind of you know ogling his wife and now we're looking for modern eyes we're going well if she wants to be in a magazine and people look at her that's up to her no one no one actually cares but i can see why it might have been a bit more taboo back then the funny thing about me is i think kimberly coming out distraught adds to the promo but doesn't actually make any sense. Why did Kimberly wait for that moment to come out? DDP has just come from backstage where Kimberly was. In those yeah. two seconds, did she get covered in spray paint because she's head to toe covered? And Macho came out and told her, you know what? Wait here, brother. 
or sister until I say these words. That's Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. It was like the whole, when I first watched it, I thought like, oh, the NWO is holding her hostage like in the back and then kind of yeah. like pushed her out. That's all I can come up with. Yeah, wise, I that's guess. about all I can think of. Yeah. 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 And it's fine. And it's a wrestle crap. So it's fine. But <laughs> considering how much I, I, I don't know why I like it so much. I think it shows good heel work and good face work, but there's so many holes in it. It's so weird. Maybe it speaks so much of the two characters in it. That I'm just I'm invested in nearly whatever they do. Yeah, DDP is super over at this point. Oh, yeah. so like, over. Do we count the spray paint on Kimberly in the magazine or? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> we might have to bring it up with the WCW committee about this. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Does I, that count? <laughs> let's see. In my notes, I think I put it on the magazine, so I'm going to count it. Okay. Okay. There's so many though. We could count this as two, which is just Macho and Kimberly. Three, which is Macho Kimberly and Paper Kimberly. Or four, as in Macho Kimberly, Paper Kimberly, and Kimberly again. I mean, it kind of looks like Kimberly has about seven on her. So, like, yeah. it's... <laughs> I, I, I think I'd be willing to go with three. Three at most. Three, okay. Yeah. okay. okay. That's fair. And next, the moment you've all been waiting for. Probably yes. the reason yes. all of you are listening to the podcast at the moment. We get our martial arts matchup, Glacier vers- uh, versus Mortis. martial arts yeah yeah, why why is this oh man (laughs) so do you know who james vandenberg is or who he's better known as later on in his career yes (laughs) yeah it is james mitchell and his gimmick has did not ever change did it no no No, he literally plays the exact same thing (laughs) Yeah, I, I only know him from his ECW character, the, the Sinister Minister, which was very short-lived. That was, that was the TNN days when ECW was on TV. Nice, which is also the exact same character as James Vandenberg. We get Mortis coming out to some awesome, cheesy, kind of metal, Mortal Kombat-esque music. Love every Castle, bit of it. Castlevania music. Castlevania, <laughs> that is a great explanation for that music, actually. And he comes out looking like Skeletor. He has kind of like shoulder pads, and he has this like scepter with a skull on it and a jester's hat. I don't know why there's a jester's hat on it, but there just is. And it is glorious in every single way. Glacier's entrance, no less glorious. He gets fake snow on a laser show. Oh, yeah. I have noted, though, I don't think his music matches his kind of mystique in his entrance that much. No, they changed his music for some reason. Yeah, I don't th- get that shit. So <laughs> They've changed it and like reduced a lot of the stuff as well. Yeah, for for over, you know, these new guys, you have Ultimate Dragon, Glacier, sweet entrance music to start off. Four months later, nah, we're going to change it to something really shit. Yeah, I have on my notes here as well, this is a mix between Mortal Kombat ripoffs and Undertaker and Kane. But I realized, when does Kane actually debut? Um, uh, later in the year, because it's yeah. Bad Blood, yeah. so that's like October? So this, this is for four Kane. So are you telling me... That w, uh, WWF ripped off WCW for Kane and Undertaker. No. No. <laughs> because Undertaker was meant to be called Kane. That's true. That is very true. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just meant more. There was a few comments from Bobby, which made me wonder what the timeline was, where he's like, oh, Mortis's face is burnt and stuff. And they came out very stoic at first. Somebody tried to refer to him as a zombie in the entrance. I can't remember. Yes. Which, oh, which that was the best. Bobby asked if yeah. Mortis, is he alive? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's walking, ain't he? <laughs> yeah, that was oh, great. Man. So let, let's go in a little bit about the history of these two guys, because this, sure. this is a debut for both characters. I mean, Glacier, he's been around since September of 96. 
Important note, undefeated streak going into the match. Funny note, he actually gets jobbed out to Goldberg in early in his streak. So that's a nice little bit of a WCW history for you. But nice. Mortis, he is known as Chris Canyon. And Chris Canyon, uh, fond memories of him in WCW. And he's actually been around for about two years, but just on like random Saturday nights. But So this is his actual like pay-per-view or main show debut as a different character. He's been repackaged. He was just Chris Canyon beforehand. Okay. I, I'm a fan of Canyon later on in his run. He's great. But yeah, Glacier, he's been around since September. And yeah, the hype has definitely gone down on him a little bit. Uh, you know what? Because this guy's on so many bad gimmick lists and bad WCW idea lists, I expected him to be a way worse wrestler than he was. Same. A lot of these guys are like fine workers. Yeah, well, I mean, Glacier, uh, I can't remember his actual name, but he, he's been wrestling for, I don't know, a good 10 years by this point. Or maybe not 10 years, but at least six years. So he's yeah. definitely a veteran. So while there's nothing wrong with the match, I thought, like, if they're going to feed off of Mortal Kombat and try and go down that route, I thought they would try and keep the match more martial arty. And it really <laughs> isn't. It really, no. really isn't. No, and you know what ruins the match for me, like, what? just straight away, is they talk. Yeah. Like, Mortis right away is like, you ain't nothing. And he, you know, he <laughs> yes. just destroys the mystique of his character right off the bat. Oh, it's just some guy with a New York accent. Oh, yeah, okay. It, it would be fine if he had, like, something that wasn't so over the top, but his accent is so thick, and it just doesn't gel. And the commentary is talking nonsense about, like, martial arts and blood sports training, and then just New York accent cuts through. You ain't nothing. Just, uh, yeah, I, I got that exactly on my nose. I thought Mortis, like, it was over the top, but I thought he looked kind of cool. for Like, very yeah. 90s cool. But I'm like, yeah, this oh, yeah. could work. He's full-on uh, Power Rangers villain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that could work. You know, not my cup of tea, but I could see it getting over. As long as he doesn't talk was my first thought. If he doesn't talk and he's, like, super mysterious, this would get over. Ruins it within yeah. 10 seconds. <laughs> you look at Kane. We mentioned him earlier. He, he yeah. should have never talked. The minute he started talking to Mystique, gone. Yeah, exactly. And it's also the way they wrestle. It's like, hmm. it's like Mortis hasn't changed his wrestling style to fit his character. So I thought it would be kind of martial art moves, a lot of, like, chops and a lot of kicks, which there are some of. But I thought it would be more slow and kind of Mortis would be kind of more monstrous and slow and chokes and stuff. But no, he just throws really bad wrestling punches and kicks. And he does Famousers twice, which look pretty terrible. The, my favorite is every now and again, they remember it should be a martial arts fight. So they get in a really fake looking stance. And at least Glacier spams like you would in a game of Mortal Kombat, low kicks and keeps tripping up Mortis. Yeah, the sweep. Yeah, yeah the yeah. sweeps. I just but, spam the shit out of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the only thing I knew how to do. But Mortis just gets into these stances and then throws big, overhanded, terrible wrestling punches. <laughs> so why even bother getting into the martial arts stance? Also, what does martial arts match mean? Any other martial arts is point-based. So it's like karate. If you hit them in the body, it's a certain amount of points. Judo, it's the same kind of thing. It's if you take them off their feet. But straight away, there's just pin attempts. So it's just a wrestling match. It's uncensored, Dave. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, I, I talk about a motorist talking too, but Glacier, he's no better because like, no. when he sells, he's audibly like screaming. At one point, he's like, my ear, my, my ear. ear. My ear was so good when he gets punched. It's almost as good as Nicolas Cage level. Like. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. beast. Oh, 
my favorite part of the match too is the the manager he yells remember Taipei it's like, what the yeah when Mortis like, is what? getting pinned or something he's like remember Taipei <laughs> oh that's <laughs> so, so good, good. This isn't a terrible match. It's just weird that they built it up in a certain way. Some of the nice spots. Glacier hits a nice sling uh, shot crossbody to the outside, followed by a suplex onto the outside. Another question mark is Vandenberg also pulls Glacier off a pin. And commentary, unfortunately, point out that that should be a DQ, and they're not sure why the ref isn't DQing him. Because it's uncensored. (laughs) Glacier also then does the typical thing, which I think is completely breaking his character of, you know, ice in my veins, of he chases Vandenberg around the ring and then eats a baseball slide for his trouble. That baseball slide is excellently done. Yeah, it's really well shot by the camera guy again as well. Yeah, Yeah. good job. And and uh, Glacier sells it like he's been shot. He like flops onto the guardrail in a real uncomfortable position. Uh, next part I, I love too because you know we're, we're talking about martial arts DQ we're in this wrestling match Dusty asks hey can we get that magazine up here <laughs> we'll have to look at boobs while we're you know in this Mortal Kombat type match yeah. at some point I can't remember the full sentence but he tries to he's saying something about putting his foot in his mouth and he can't even say that correctly <laughs> so he's like my, my mouth and my foot and I mean my foot in my I mean, I have the exact uh, <laughs> quote. I have the exact quote. Dusty's talking about the fast feet of Glacier. So when Mortis kicks Glacier in the head, he goes, Those were fast feet. I might have stepped on my toe there. On my feet, <laughs> on my feet stepped. I might have stepped on my mouth with my foot. <laughs> <laughs> I know what he's trying to say, but he failed many times. Mortis hits a kind of weird spot. I kind of like it. He has Glacier up on his shoulders on the steel steps and does a snake eyes onto the apron, which looks kind of sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm remembering what you're talking about. Yeah, it's really unique, actually. What he yeah, does. they do a couple things that are, again, unique. And if this wasn't framed as like a special match, I'm like, this is, this is all fine. And if they weren't framed as zombie ninjas, they'd just be two fine wrestlers having a match. Glacier does this flip into the ring, into a, like, a bit of a rolling clothesline, way better than Conan does it. <laughs> I have that noted. I'm like, oh, Dave is going to love this. <laughs> can actually do a rolling clothesline. Mortis hits like a weird slow Feymaster to take some control of the match at some stage. But when he goes to well again, Glacier reverses into a powerbomb, which is a nice spot. Near the end of the match, Glacier's super kick, but they call it a standing sidekick. Or do you guys remember what they call his finisher? His actual, the actual name is Cryonic Kick. Cryonic, Cryonic kick, yeah. fantastic yeah. name for a finish. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, apparently Super Kick hasn't been coined at this stage. I just, I don't think they're allowed to say it or something <laughs> by the sounds of it. Yeah. Because they, they yeah. refer to it always as a sidekick. Yeah. yeah. Mortis pulls the ref in away as Glacier goes for this, uh, for his finish, which uh, distracts Glacier and lets Mortis hit his own Super Kick for a two count. Vandenberg then gets on the apron and holds Glacier, not sure why this isn't a DQ, while the ref starts counting for Vandenberg to let him go, like it's some kind of tag team match all of a sudden. Mortis goes for another, but Glacier rolls out of the way, Mortis stops short of hitting Vandenberg and eats a super kick for his trouble for the three count. Better match than I expected though, and I think I'm okay with the finish. I I thought that the interference is totally random, but I actually really enjoy this match. It's, it's really good. Same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Having seen his other matches, this is way better than what he's done. So. Agreed. You have not had to suffer <laughs> Glacier matches on Nitro, Dave. They're usually pretty short squash matches, but 
Yeah, th- I was actually really surprised. If this wasn't, like, framed as Ice Ninja versus Zombie Ninja, I'd be fine with these two workers with just random gimmicks, random Joe gimmicks having a fine match on pay-per-view. But instead, they got to get that sweet Mortal Kombat money, and neither neither guy knows how to play their character, I think, very well. But they are both good wrestlers. I think what hurts the match a little bit and and that's kind of like when we talk about Kane what's so intriguing about Kane it's kind of like this backstory just saying Mortis claims that they had a history and that's your story going into the match like they need something to work with when I mean they have nothing sure I can maybe agree that these kind of gimmicks are dead on arrival anyways looking at the time but at least try to give them something of some kind of mystique some kind of some kind of story otherwise it's just kayfabe dudes dressing up in Mortal Kombat outfits which is strange when you think about it yeah they kind of semi-introduce commentary or like doesn't vandenberg collect things and make him sound mysterious i'm like ooh, that's wrestle crap but that sounds cool maybe they'll run with that but yeah straight away these just become two dudes two random dudes and i think that's probably why they do poorly we can rag on the on the gimmick all day but you know an undead undertaker zombie man mystical zombie badass and his brother who wears a mask all the time because he was burned up, but isn't burnt up, but can't talk, but can talk, got very, very over. Ridiculous stuff does get over. It's just, I think the right things weren't put in place to let them get over. But like like Connor brought up, one of the key things is they didn't talk. Yeah. Neither of those yeah. two people talked for ages. Yeah, you, they built it up. And yeah, we can say maybe a bit the wrestlers spoiled it themselves. I guess we'll never know who had creative control over what was happening. After the match, we get another debut. We're not told the wrestler's name at the time, but we know it is the wrestler is going to be known as Rat. Am I right? Correct. Vandenberg calls another mystery man down as the camera misses Glacier getting hit with the voodoo skull jester stick in the back. What a description! And you're not even wrong. Like (laughs) (laughs) this new wrestler comes down in what I have in my notes as a man in the Iron Mask type mask. Yeah, kind of sure. all-encompassing mm-hmm. iron mask over his face, which he sh- takes off straight away. And a bit of double-team work on Glacier leads to... I have the move as a lifting bookend onto Glacier oh, by Controversial. Rat. Yeah, I'm, I'm, rock bo- I have rock bottom. Uh, it's WCW. It is a bookend. I will have you know. Like it's, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but the bookend does not exist at this point in time, I don't think. That, that's true. That's true. Does the rock bottom? Well, yeah... Th- the rock bottom might not even The rock bottom yeah, does. The bookend doesn't, I don't think. Oh, okay, okay. So, another debut, and I think this guy has a great look. I think they all do. Do you do you want to tell us who this is? Because it's one of your favourites, Gus. Oh, I love this guy growing up. He's Adam Bomb, and he was in the WWF. Uh, he's just the whitest big dude that you'll come across. He's not going to be very good in the ring, but I don't care, because he's jacked, and he just does <laughs> big power moves all the time. <laughs> And, and they debut the character. This is how you debut it. He doesn't yeah. say anything. He just does a finisher. Looks strong. Good. Perfect. Leaves. That's Easy. all we need. Yeah, it leaves. Yeah. After this, we get a segment that shatters my b- belief in the industry. If I didn't think wrestling was fake before this, I surely knew afterwards. <laughs> we get the NWO car crash footage of the Steiners. We're getting the point of view in the NWO's car, in black and white, of course, because it's in the NWO's car, and that's how they see life, I think. <laughs> and they are hassling the Steiners by nudging into the back of their car a couple of times. The Steiners get so mad that they throw sodas out the window at the NWO car, and then so mad that they crash and flip their car. The NWO then says, we better get out of here, 
and drives away. Why aren't they in prison? Please explain, <laughs> Connor. <laughs> I, I can't, man. I mean, they're exonerated because they gave them the tape. I, I don't know. Uh, my, my fi- I like that commentary try and make sense of this and say the only reason they're not in prison is because the Steiners want to deal with them themselves. And that line is badass makes the Steiners look great. Except that's not how the law works. <laughs> <laughs> they're not allowed to just do hit and runs because the people are too afraid to report them or don't want to report them. Your video evidence. These men should be in jail. Yeah, I'm glad you guys got to see this this segment. Because as I told you uh, the last pay-per-view, they weren't going to show this on TV again. But they're like, oh, we can show this on pay-per-view again. So let's show it. You know, we paid for, you know, the whole production. Let's let's milk it I, while we can. I, I got to give them credit. Like, the actual car crash is well done. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, the actual thing. Like, it doesn't make any sense in, at all story-wise. But, like... The whole production, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. That's very un-WCW-like, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Like, joking aside, it's fine. And I'm fine with the explanation that the Steiners are so tough they want to deal with them this themselves. Uh, I, I have a public service announcement before we go any further. For anybody who has any intention of watching this pay-per-view, uh, as opposed to just listening to us talk about it, skip the next hour. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely skip the next hour and just go to the main event. We'll explain why now over the next however long, but my God, do not watch it. <laughs> I, I will say for once I can recommend just watch the first three matches. Don't think I've ever been able to say, hey, just watch the first three matches. That's fine. <laughs> next, we get the hotly anticipated finish to the feud of uh, Buff Bagwell <laughs> and Scotty why? Riggs in a why strap match. Why doing this? Why? <laughs> and if Fer- Fergus gets to have public service announcements, so will I. I'd like to remind everyone that Dusty Rhodes is the king of the strap match. <laughs> always want to put Get that Dusty there. in there, please. Do Don't worry. Dusty Dusty makes sure to remind people of that. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I hate strap matches. Like I, They're they, the worst. They're they the worst. They're dumb as fuck. They are mediocre at very best. And at worst, they're unwatchable. Even when Dusty is in them, I think they're pretty bad. Buff coming to the ring with the NWOB music still, which I think is a bit unfortunate. Buff is getting quite the amount of heat. He should probably be upgraded to some real music. He lets us know that he is indeed the stuff still and that he doesn't care about beating Riggs. He just wants to beat him up. Commentary, when Scotty comes out, who has a a strap with him and is all fired up, Commentary is running through some more of the rules for the main event because the main event has a lot of (laughs) convoluted (laughs) rules that we need to be reminded of a couple times. We get filled in on the rule this time that you can eliminate someone by throwing them over the top, which they didn't initially and surprised me a lot, actually. Makes the match a lot cleaner, I guess, but throws in a, a lot of other questions that need to be answered. But we'll get to that at the main event like to get this in now. Sign number one, that the company doesn't care about you. You're still using your tag team music. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, someone in the breakup has to completely flounder and never do anything in the industry again, because that's the rule of breaking up tag teams, of course. Scotty does not wait for Buff to get the strap on and keeps whipping him as the ref is trying to get the match started. Eventually, Buff bails to the outside of the ring. We get the strap on and the match is officially underway. And I don't want to really describe this to you guys. The best way I can describe this match is it is 90% whipping and choking and 10% some moves. (laughs) Don't forget the other 10%, which is Buff talking to the camera. (laughs) He does it way too much in this match. What the hell? Yeah, we gave him props like, oh, he's good at talking to the camera, all this stuff. He just goes, hey, am I like, oh, people are telling me that I'm good at this. All right, I'm going to do it the whole whole match then. My, oh, yeah. The only one I partic- I really enjoyed is after his interaction with uh, Randy Anderson. That one is good. <laughs> I, I do like that yeah. one. Yeah. 
Buff goes for a pin in the middle of the match, even though he says he's not concerned yeah, with beating his opponent, yeah. even though it's not part of the rules. Because as we know in a strap match, or as you might not know in a strap match, you have to touch all four corners consecutively without a break. And he gets in Anderson's face about not counting the pin for some reason. There's no pins. It's just a rule, Buff. Anderson pushes him into the corner and Buff gets very apologetic, which I thought was is, is funny, but doesn't make much sense in the kind of in the match. So if we're saying that the match is like 10% buff, shouting at uh, things at the camera, cutting promos, I don't think we can say it's 90% just whips and chokes because there's another 5% of the match and that's buff getting hit in the crotch by things. Buff loves getting hit in the crotch by things. It is basically part of his gimmick. I think I counted four crotch shots for buff in this. Like two on top turnbuckle, one by the strap, Worn by just a low blow by Riggs. Did I miss any? Sounds about right. Yeah, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Dusty also spends a large part of this match, and maybe you guys can explain to me, talking about a sack of semen. I can't. That's in my (laughs) notes. He goes on and on about a sack of semen. I don't don't know. (laughs) I think what he was trying to convey was the difficulty with winning the strap match, because when you knock out your opponent, they become a sack of semen. Like it is. He seems very concerned about Riggs's pulls his opponent from from uh, post to post. Yeah, so this is the part of the match that I think is nearly unbearable because it's it's a wrestling crap match and people are whipping each other and it's about cheap heat the whole way through. I get it, but their strap is very long, and for anyone with any brains, you could just touch all four turnbuckles pretty easily without pulling someone across. But for some reason, when it comes to it, they try and tie up their opponent with the strap and drag them like a centimeter from their feet and always get stopped. And then when they're like, they hit the third turnbuckle and they're trying to reach the fourth one, why don't they just, you know, untie the guy, run over and hit it? David, like, you can spend easily five, ten minutes on how (laughs) dumb this match is, like, even without those two guys, like, yeah, like why yeah. does nobody run when they're trying to hit the four turnbuckles? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, there's tons of things wrong with it. Like, it just annoys me watching those matches because <laughs> they're so stupid. The finish comes from a typical hangman situation where Riggs kind of gets the strap wrapped around his throat, but they kind of botch it. It isn't around his throat at all. Goes over the top rope and gets hangmaned while, I guess, Buff lies down and puts his feet on the rope for, you know, torque, get that pressure on. He never is really dangling by his feet. He's kind of sitting on the apron. It doesn't look very convincing. After that, Buff just pulls him into the ring, walks to each buckle, touches it, and... Touches the last one with his butt for some reason. Just to put the exclamation point, obviously. I also don't think that's the rules. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does exactly what you say as well, is that he doesn't try and carry him around and he actually yeah. loosens the strap to do it. Look, it's over. Don't don't it's, think about it. It's, it's not done. a good match. There, it's not a good there match. is maybe a tiny bit more to this match than we're letting on, but it is genuinely just mostly... No choking and whipping the other guy to get cheap heat and then a really badly executed hangman finish it's just a total retread we've already seen this match multiple times they haven't done anything yeah there's nothing new like it's just here do you have the same thing again yeah and the right guy won that's the only positive i have he's i guess yeah right guy won he calls Riggs a fatty to the camera afterwards which, you know, doesn't make me feel great about my physique if Scott Riggs is considered fine. <laughs> but that's the end of this feud where Buff onto, I guess, bigger things. Very involved in the NWO and being a heel in general in the future. Hooray! <laughs> 
Next, we get an NWO segment where it is the Outsiders, Hogan, and the Macho Man looking through that Playboy slash Penthouse, whatever it was, and making a lot of sexual innuendo and talking about how cool DDP is. At the same time, they call Rodman their secret weapon and something about laying people down that insinuates they have sex with women but also pain wrestlers. Sweet, but it's not as sweet as when the NWO landed a few minutes ago in our charter jet. Rod the Bod, he's taking care of all the sweet stuff out in the truck. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you scored again. I mean, when he got Rod, I mean that was sweet. <laughs> Almost the sweetest page of the lady, how much? <laughs> Uh, oh, God, I want to hear about that. I got another niche in my belt. Uh-huh, that's what my belt's for. <laughs> you know, the big man here was going to take over for you, but I had to explain to him that we're all the same size laying down. You know? Oh, he didn't say that. And that I did, and you know, when the NWO gets done tonight at Uncensored, everybody's going to be laying down. We guarantee victory. Guaranteed. We do NWO bad as we want to be. Sweet. What's riding? Too sweet. Oh. Hey, Ma, top of the world, look at me now. Hey, one thing, WCW and Piper's crew, don't worry, because we ain't mad at you. We ain't mad at you. <laughs> We're just going to beat them up. Ah, get over it. Coming to get you. <laughs> Show that little... Uh, I, I love it. Hey, I got a surprise for you guys when we're done, man. What's that? Something about the party. Oh, brother, that whole initiation thing that I did with Robin in New York. You guys told me how to work the whole angle. Yeah. He taught me a few new tricks. I can't wait to show you guys. You're ripping. I'm serious. Okay, <laughs> we seen Paige's old lady with her skirt off. We know the little, uh... We know the fruit deal. Cake, <laughs> fruit, fruitcake <laughs> with the piper. He'll, he'll have a skirt on. Hey, what, what do you got Robin wearing? He's showing up in a wedding dress. What's he wearing, man? <laughs> hey, man. You know, we're going to let him wait because when Rod the Bod comes out, I guarantee you, it all stops there. It's not a miracle bra, is it? It's not a training bra either. <laughs> you know what? Somebody said it. Sweet Paige is already didn't need a training bra either, man. Ooh, man. <laughs> well, give me <laughs> some. I thought yeah, Silicon yeah. Valley was in California. Ooh, take it easy, bra NWO. <laughs> We'll buy them all set, man. You know, you know what? No matter what happens tonight, <laughs> fellas, you know we're going to come out with a victory. And you know one thing we're going to be? We're going to be NWO for life. life. Never had so much fun. I like it. Come get some. Wow. I'm learning a lot from you guys, man. You guys are cool. Let's get out of here, man. I'm going to bring my magazine, magazine with me. Make a pay to Why see it. Things so stuck together, man. Sticky. That's my, that's my fault. What was this promo? Are they supposed to be high or something? I, I don't know. Like, it, it really doesn't make any sense, does it? Like, you think no. Piper's stuff is bad, and then this comes on, you're like, huh? Uh, all right. It doesn't seem like any of them have, like, talked to each other before they came into the room. So they don't know what it's about. They don't know what anybody else is going to say. And they're just all trying to quip each other with, like, say the coolest thing that they can. And it's just, it kind of suggests that Randy is having sex with somebody and then Kevin was waiting to have sex with her, but he didn't need, to, I don't know. It just, it's so. It's, it's hard. Yeah. I, I thought, I think Hall is drunk. He stumbles. He goes fruitcake with the Piper. Uh, I'm, I, I'm guessing he's talking about Tenta, as we mentioned earlier. I, I have no idea what he was talking yeah. about. I, I, I just, Hogan insinuates that these people have learned them new moves which again is innuendo for wrestling, but also for sex. That's a very oh, he doesn't say game. moves. He says tricks, and it's to do tricks, with an initiation yeah. ritual, 
<laughs> yeah. Don't don't oh. give them credit for being more subtle than they are here. <laughs> so it's it's a real creepy imagery of old man Hogan getting taught new sex tricks by the outsiders. <laughs> and it's oh, by just Rodman, something that's by Rodman. And Rodman as well, yeah. It is just burnt into my retinas for the rest of my life. It's oh it is unnecessary. And as much as I liked kind of Savage being creepy about Kimberly early to get heat, now it's gone too far for me. This was not necessary. Well, this is Team NWO too. What the point of it was supposed to be is you're supposed to put the match over, and it's just kind of like, eh, let's talk more about Savage's feud a little here, I guess. Yeah. Or talk talk about Rodman. I'd expect they talk about Rodman and how cool he is more, but that mm-hmm. was kind of secondary to the Kimberly centerfold. And then when they go to walk off camera, Macho's like, I think I'll take this magazine with me. I well, can't leave without you. it. Yeah, good, <laughs> good for you, Macho. I don't need to know that. That's weird. That's a weird thing. You keep that to yourself, man. Mm. Yeah, for every good NWO promo, there's about, like, nine Wolfle ones, and here's one of them. Yeah, this was very Hogan and Savage-esque, I feel, unfortunately. Uh, I, I think they're all to blame here. I don't I don't want to really put, put it on one guy. Fair, fair. Yeah. Next, we get the best bit about the next match, which is Harlem Heat and the Public Enemy, and they're very, very over entrances. Both teams get pyro for this one, and a pretty loud pop from the crowd, and Public Enemy, of course, come out with a table and a trash can full of weapons. I would like to say the match gets anywhere better from here, but it's all downhill. <laughs> yeah, Gus, this match must have been up your alley, man. This is your uh, your wheelhouse. As much as I love that match from Bash of the Beach when we first started, this is the drizzling shits. You would expect that, in theory, Harlem Heat is a much better tag team than the Nasty Boys in terms of wrestling oh, yeah. ability. Yep. And you would expect that Public Enemy would be like middling and it's their type of match. But apparently nobody has any sort of idea about how to construct a match in this in this type because they just do exactly the same thing for 12 minutes. It's just like watching somebody beat a dead horse repeatedly. It's just, oh, it's so bad. So, so bad. It's a stain on all the junky garbage matches that I love. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never thought I'd say I'd miss the Nasty Boys. But these type of matches, you can tell Public Enemy are not actually very good at directing these type of chaos matches. And it was all the Nasty Boys in the last encounter. Harlem Heat try and bring in some athleticism with some of their typical moves and power moves. Public Enemy do their thing where they sell it for a hot second and get up and throw a trash can at you. (laughs) And it gets old fast. The the only bit I might say I enjoyed is straight away at the start of the match. Public Enemy try and get into the ring with all their weapons. They empty them into that ring. And... Harlem Heat just beat on them pretty hard for the first couple seconds of the match. Grunge uh, bleeds right away too, which was yeah. a big no-no in yeah. WCW. Yeah, people got fired over that in WCW before, so mm-hmm. lucky yeah, if he keeps working after this. First time we saw blood in the cast too. I don't know if we're going to see it again. I don't know. Mm. They are very strict about it uh, at this stage. Uh, the one thing I've noticed, sorry, before we jump straight into the match, I missed at the entrances a little bit. Rocco takes off Grunge's hat during the entrance, and he doesn't like it at all. Grunge snatches the hat back off Rocco and puts it back on his head. And I thought that was really weird. <laughs> Don't want people seeing my hair. The the only thing I could think of was he had planned to blade, and the hat was important to it. Mm, is the okay. only thing I could get from it is that maybe. Maybe he had the blade in his hat or he already had a kind of a cut there and he was just hiding it and he's just sure, waiting sure. for the match to start to just get somebody to hit it and then it would got, it would just start bleeding. But that's literally it. That's the only thing I could think of. 
Mm, that makes sense, actually. I wonder, because it was, it was so nasty. It wasn't even just like, give me my hat back. He was like, yeah, and just snatched it back off. And it was like pretty Yoink. Bad. Yeah. We got some beautiful split screen work again, oh, which is becoming yeah. a trademark of the public enemy matches. But unfortunately, they had to save by the bell background on the split screen, yeah. which made it unwatchable. Actually turned away twice because I was hurting my eyes. Dusty goes nuts over the toilet seat, though. <laughs> oh, my God. The yeah. commode. The commode. <laughs> the commode seat. And they're like, what? What are yeah. you on about? What's what? the commode? Yeah. yeah. He goes mad over so many things. Also, a little bit later, after the commode seat, one of Harlem Heat gets hit by two trash can lids. And he's like, he starts laughing and says, he got hit, like, with two xylophones. <laughs> xylophone? What do, they, what do you call when you hit two xylophones together? And they're like, uh, do you mean symbols? Symbols? <laughs> symbols, Dusty? So that's that's what? that's of course what I meant, <laughs> you know. When you hit two xylophones together, what happens is you get two broken xylophones, Dusty. Every time they they go to the outside as well, which is really funny to me. Every time Public Enemy go to the outside, Sherry gets involved, which of course she does. It's an ODQ match; it makes sense. But why go to the outside? <laughs> also, why doesn't Sherry just get into the ring and hit them? Also, why is Sherry so bad at doing interference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was real bad. <laughs> Essentially, halfway through the match, Sherry goes to hit one of the public enemy with a bin and or trash can and accidentally hits Stevie instead. But they all of a sudden realize it's too soon for this spot because it's to do with the finish. And Stevie no sells it and just starts attacking the public enemy again. Yep. Commentary do a good job. Commentary mm. like Stevie's Stevie's mm. so tough it doesn't matter. He just goes by it. I don't know. Again, I think this is another <laughs> match where I think commentary they just went too far. It's it's so yeah. many jokes. They're Dusty laughing so much. I mean, it worked for Bash at the Beach because you have rubber sharks and you had these other weird situations that like wrestlers normally aren't like in. But just like the previous like month with Benoit Sullivan, like we're seeing nasty stiff weapon shots to the head and at one point you see blood it's like this it just seems weird to be joking about this type of match dusty loses his mind at a stiff shot on booker where booker does the thing where you sell it by slowing down uh sorry falling down very slowly like you're dazed like you're completely knocked out dusty loves it and starts laughing uncontrollably for pretty much the rest of the match and i don't have many more notes beyond that because I'm so distracted by Dusty's laughing that I just can't follow what's happening in the rest of the match. I also noticed Steve, Stevie Ray getting thrown into the crowd at one stage. And again, the crowd being so polite, they just kind of let Stevie Ray lie on top of them. I guess they're trying to go for an ECW type like match here. Because, I mean, ECW, it's uh, it's becoming a big thing. They're about to have their first pay-per-view here. And that was a very ECW type thing. Oh, go in the fans, brawl with the fans. And no, WCW, like, no, just stay there. We'll, we'll help you. Yeah, That's they're also I'm taking thinking. weapons off the fans like mm-hmm. ECW has been known for now, which can be dangerous. There's a lot of ECW stories of people getting hit with what they thought was tinfoil at the time, but was something a lot more sinister wrapped underneath. Luckily, none of that happened this time, but a lot of ba- a lot of baking trays and stuff handed in from the crowd. At one stage, the crowd get a little bit behind the match because I, I think they're a little dead for it. And they start chanting for the table that Public Enemy brought out. What Public Enemy thought this chant meant was that they wanted them to walk around slowly and give one or two more shots. Because they were not ready to do the spot. So Public Enemy just walked around the ring not yeah. knowing what to do. Yeah. Way to read the crowd. Good job. Way to read the crowd. Get the fuck on with it already. Jeez. Yeah. The, to be fair, the, like, the actual table spot is good. I'll give them that. Like, mm-hmm. It just took way, way too long to get there. But I mean, they do a good drive-by. 
So it, it looks cool in the end. Yeah, um, is, is that what it, is that what they call it's it? It's called a drive by. Yeah, yeah. drive by. Yeah. So is Rocco supposed to land on Grunge, or was that an accident? Uh, I think so. I think he is. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you that don't know what the drive by is, they have the table on the outside. Grunge stands on the apron, and Rocco does a flipping senton onto the table to the outside while Grunge kind of back dives. But at the same time, Rocco kind of hits Grunge, so Rocco's kind of on top of Grunge when they land. It looked sweet. I'll give them that. I'm, I'm not a fan of the public enemy, but it was a cool double team move. This leads to the finish. You'd think that might finish the match, but no. Back in the ring, Rocco has a bit of uh, advantage on Booker, is going to climb the turnbuckle. But we see that the horsemen, Mongo and Jeff, are running in. Jeff distracts the ref. Don't know why he has to. It's a no-disqualification match. And Mongo hits Rocco with the briefcase, while Booker gets on the top rope, hits the Harlem hangover. That's botched a bit. He almost lands right on Rocco's head, and you can see Rocco holding his head afterwards, and hits the tree count there. Mercifully. Mercifully, that was the end of the match. A nutting match. A complete dud for me. I just feel bad for Harlem Heat. They go from tag team champions to this. Yeah. Booker, your, your singles run won't come fast enough. <laughs> Please. Oh, yeah. To explain a bit to the listeners who might not know why the Four Horsemen got involved, apparently originally the match was supposed to be the Four Horsemen versus the Public Enemy, or Mongo and Jarrett specifically, but they were moved to the main event. So this is the kind of continue that rivalry a bit, and we'll see a payoff for it later unfortunately even even then it's it's kind of a huge fuck up by wcw they were supposed to have some kind of build up on the nitro before the show and they just ran out of time and they didn't really show it (laughs) it it was it it was typical wcw fashion they had problems uh, well the the power went out during ddp's promo (laughs) so they had to wait they had to like cut to commercial wait for the power to come back on so that wasted a bunch of time. So that that segment got cut, this whole uh, horseman and uh, public enemy stuff. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, yeah, the horseman here. I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense. If, if wow. you watch all the nitros, it makes zero sense still. Excellent. That's great. Emperor, uh, that's just great adaption by WCW and why they were on top at this time, I think. After this train wreck of a match, we get the Team WCW uh, promo. We got them off everyone else so far. We... Start off with a perfect Scott Steiner promo. Man, he never changed his style. And he tells us, very obviously, that he did not enjoy seeing his brother brought away in an ambulance. Very old school. All of them very much running through the other teams. Saying they're great, but they're going to beat them and telling them how great they are. After every one of them has their say, one of the other members would pat them on the chest in a macho show of macho-ness. Giant with a bit of a nonsensical one himself. Typical starting off low and slow and then ending shouting and talking about choke slams. Lex starts to say something interesting, starting to say that NWO represents current society and kids. I'm like, ooh, that could be a cool angle to go by. But then trails off into his old school stuff. So very typical promo by the guys. Do you have anything to say about this? I kind of checked out on this one. I was sick of promos. <laughs> by now yeah they needed something from the all the three teams so i I understand that yeah lex spouting about society and time actually like i was just like what you you lost me there but i kind of like the tradition of wcw because i I felt like we've lost that in this feud and i I felt it brought it brought some emotion because i thought like scott and and the giant there was like eh, very just like bland kind of Oh, promos yeah. and I, you know lex it sounds like he truly believes these statements they'd say and it feels genuine so i, I thought luger saved this promo by finishing out with that 
a little... He is certainly better than the rest of them. I just think that all of our Rambly, where they're going from, like, soundbite to soundbite, and none of them really match. Like, if you would read it back to me, the start of their promo doesn't match the end and stuff, and that that kind of yeah. irks me. But it, but it is fine. They do confirm, Gene does confirm, that it's only going to be the three of them, as commentary have been kind of alluding to maybe there should be a fourth member to team WCW, someone should definitely just step up. And before Gene was asking DDP if that would be him. So we find out it will not be any replacement for WCW, making it look less and less likely that the NWO will be suspended for three years. Next, we get the second appearance of Prince, I have to say it right, Iokea. I think I got it right yeah, this time. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. it. Yep. I, have it, I have it literally spelled out phonetically for like, <laughs> Prince Iokea and Ray and... For the TV championship, this is a built-up from the last one where it was that kind of weird finish where Prince didn't feel like he deserved the title, wanted to give it back to Ray. Ray said he earned it. But this is going to be the kind of, um, I guess, decider, the proper decider for the title. Ray comes out to some response in his typical Jaws-esque music. Prince Iokea comes out to dead silence. No one cares. No one knows him. That charisma has not improved. No, no, not at all. He, he is trying, but no one cares. Mike Tanay out for the commentary again for this one. Start of the match is fine. We get some rope running, some high intensity rope running again into a Samoan drop by Prince, which looks decent. He tries a splash off the top rope straight after this, but eats nothing but knees from Ray. Tanay lets us know that this match is 15 minutes instead of 10 because it's a special pay per view match, which is weird. It, it's weird that the TV championship is on pay-per-view. We've gone over this before, but it's weird that they're extending the time, I think, as well. Yeah, it's it's weird that he brings it up. It just makes it more obvious that, oh, this is probably going to have something to do Something's with Something's up, yeah. If, if they have to mention the time, the time is important. <laughs> nice springboard splash from the Prince to the outside as well. I think that's probably his nicest spot of the match. Brain compares it maybe a little bit favorably to the hang time that Dr. J would get going for, for the basket. I think that might be a little bit generous. He stumbled on that analogy. I don't, I don't know what it was. The commentary just felt really off for a lot of these matches. To be fair, they don't really have much to work with here. They don't have any kind of feuds to kind of... There's no story here to, to really play into it. I mean, no. they try and talk about, oh, you know, Ray, he's the guy that has a lot of heart, and Ayakea is just kind of like the, the guy that came out of nowhere and type of thing. He's really impressed me. Tanae tries to talk about Rookie of the Year and how Giant got it last year and how if Prince wins this, it will probably be him this year. I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think a major issue, as you notice, I mentioned there Ray's typical spots, is Prince doesn't have spots. He's not been in the industry long enough to have real go-to spots. So once he does his springboard crossbody a couple times and his Samoan drop, that's it. He doesn't know what else to do. And I think it's really apparent he doesn't really know what else to do. He does another crossbody springboard from the guardrail, but misses. It looks very sloppy, and he almost hits his head off the ring steps. I love the lion salt by Ray, though. I thought that was probably one of my favorites. Even It was almost better than Jericho than when he does it. Well, at this stage, yeah. At this stage in their careers. <laughs> As Tanae is quick to point out, the Cabrada, and then Dusty Ooh. gets confused Ooh. about Cabradas. Uh, from there of course yeah it was it also woke up the card the card has been pretty dead up until this point oh, even at some of Ray's there's a good normal, reason like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's always awkward when you can see the fans on the hard camera just leaving to go to the bathroom oh yeah yeah 
also this I will give it a little bit this is boring but it's right before a hotly anticipated main event it's raid they do start like yeah they do start also chanting boring and I did not expect young Ray to ever be in a match where boring was chanted Prince hits a spinning headbutt to the groin of Ray I don't know if it was on purpose because it's really heelish and everything else he does in the match is super like face yeah and he claims he hit the stomach. It's like, no, you clearly... You definitely hit his groin. <laughs> yeah, Ray also sells like a hit his groin. Then both men go for, like, spin kicks and low-blow each other, and both of them sell like they've been low-blowed. Like, it's some kind of dumb and dumber comedy section. They scissors each other. Yeah, they scissors. Time runs out. Surprise, surprise, when someone said time was relevant, it ran out. As Ray got a two-count, so he thought he had won the match. It was like one and a half. It wasn't even two. They yeah, it wasn't multiple close. people fucked up. Timing was really bad here. The ref also just kind of got up as he went one and a half. He got up before the bell, so you knew it wasn't over. Ray then asks for a time extension, which is not a very face thing to do, especially when the crowd's booing and they're like, yeah. "Please don't extend <laughs> Please the match." Please have this finish. No, no. I'm like, thank God it's over. But Prince agrees that Ray deserves more time. For the rest of the short match, Ray dominates and looks like he's going to be on top. He does his typical springboard Rana into a pin, looking for the win, but Prince rolls through and gets the tree count in a very unspectacular finish. You know, where's the good old normal victory rolls? Doesn't have to be <laughs> doesn't have to be a reverse of this move every time. And Prince retains, surprisingly enough. And the crowd goes wild. Yeah, yeah they go yeah. wild. I, I, Dave, I actually have this exact same things in my notes that his offense just, it seems to have gotten worse. There's a big problem with Prince too. There's no intensity at all to any of his just ring work either. No. He is very green. For how green he is, I think it's, he's doing fine. But he should not be near a title. You should also not be wasting Rey Mysterio matches on him. Let alone this is a face-on-face one. So how is he supposed to get himself over? Even if he was an experienced wrestler. I, I don't know what they're putting him against Ray. I don't know why they're putting him for the title. I don't know why he's on pay-per-views. People like William Regal, who is in that division and we'll see in future pay-per-views, are not on the card. Yeah, we'll see him and Prince next pay-per-view. Yeah. People like that, experienced practitioners, are not in the ring and they're pushing this guy because, he, you know, he's from the power plant and they're pushing their own guy. And he has a look and he seems like a decent worker, but he seems like he's a couple years off being good. Just can't wait until the push is over because we have way better TV champions coming up way in in line. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It takes an awful lot for somebody to actually get me bored at watching a Rey Mysterio match. And I was totally bored by this. This is the worst match I've ever seen Rey Mysterio in. Easily. They're clearly trying to get him over as like a fighting champion. And the crowd just doesn't care because they're like, oh, he's willing to take on more time and... He's blah, 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 all this. And I'm like, I don't care. And then to make it worse, it's it's a rematch. And there's been no build-up for it. Like, there's no reason for them to have a rematch. They've already done this. And he won. Okay, it was a fluke. But why are we doing this again? Why is there so many matches on this card that have been done before? <laughs> yeah. And again, I feel sorry for Prince. Because he's obviously just inexperienced and doesn't know how to work properly yet. I have no idea why such a big business would put him in this position. Next, we get one of the more bizarre ads we've seen for the next pay-per-view. Spring Stampede is what we'll be covering next. And they get a Western Four Horsemen pay-per-view. Kind of talking about their own their own stable. And Rick comes along 
in full cowboy gear, flowing white duster, <laughs> and he rides off kind of into the sunset with some of the horsemen. And it's glorious. <laughs> Fucking amazing. I love this. I can't wait till that pay-per-view because there'll probably be nothing to do with it. Like, <laughs> Yes. It, it is weird that both Arn and Flair on it and neither of them will wrestle. Awesome, but weird. And we get the big, big main event. Describe it as a three-way tag team match, but that's not really what it is. Team NWO versus Team Piper versus Team WCW. How it is structured is... In the first round, which will be five, I think it's five minutes for the first one. Mm -hmm. The first member of each team will come out. It's Royal Rumble kind of style, or Battle Royale, I guess is better, where over-the-top pin, submission, or KO eliminates a member. After those five minutes, another member from each team will come out, and then every two minutes after that, another member of each team will come out until everyone is out. So Battle Royale slash kind of war games-y feel... The thing is, I don't know why it isn't just a battle royale. Why they're even having, you know, them as tag teams or describing it as a tag team match at all. I don't even have the heart to go, it's uncensored. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're trying to make it more important. But if they would have just said, this is a battle royale where the last man standing from a team gets the reward for his team. That's so easy to understand for any wrestling watcher. Instead... Michael Buffer goes through the rules. We do get Michael Buffer and his honey-like voice back for the main event. But this is like the fifth or sixth time they've had to go through the rules for the people watching at home. If you have to explain the rules that many times, you probably shouldn't have your match as complicated as it is. We talked about it before, but it's very unbelievable that Team WCW will win. Not because they're missing a member, because there's no way Hollywood Hulk Hogan isn't going to be wrestling for three years. That's like, why does that bit have to be in it? If it was just a bit where they give up their titles if they lose, it's very believable that they could lose. Also, (laughs) this just kind of came to me now, right? So there's, you said there was 16 members of the MWO, right? That applies to every single member. So why aren't they interfering to make sure their jobs are gonna stick around? Yeah, there's nothing about DQs in this one. <laughs> right. Well let's 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 go back a little bit. First, uh, the sixteen, I mean like four or five of those are like manager types, so I guess you can not count those. Bubba and Wall Street have both been taken out by the secret assassin that we don't know about. I'm Ooh. sure it doesn't get paid off later. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I forgot I forgot they referenced that at the very start of the pay-per-view and then never mentioned it again. Yeah, because uh, it's probably not important. Yeah. Uh, so there's maybe like, what, seven or eight real members? I'm not going to count NWO Sting or Chono either. Cause yeah. they How dare you not count NWO Sting? He's an integral member of the NWO. <laughs> He's an integral man of getting a paycheck. That's that's what he is. Wait, wait. Is that NWO staying in the front row? Just with a shirt and jeans on? Is that why he's not that entertaining at any stage? (laughs) Yeah, he's had to buy his own ticket. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I wonder who's going to come out first. Hmm. Hmm. Has to be Hogan and Piper, right? No. Hmm. Yeah, I think they, they have to pay that feud off straight away. The fans are just so rabid for it. Well, for Team Piper, we get Benoit out first. For Team NWO, we get Hall out first. And for WCW, they lead with their biggest foot forward, I guess. We get Giant out. I like we get Benoit and Hall brawling in the ring, and Giant takes his time coming out. Dusty tells us, you know, how smart it is for Giant to take his time. And I'm, I'm kind of happy if Giant doesn't get in the ring. I would have liked to see Hall, Benoit, one-on-one. Camera also misses the start of their brawl. Dusty tells us that the brawl has started, but for some reason the camera stays focused on Giant just walking out for a while. 
Uh, that was kind of cool that Benoit gets a chance to kind of uh, battle with some of these uh, main eventers since he's kind of strictly a mid-card guy this whole time. Although, of course, they fuck up his... Yeah, he's on Piper's team, but he comes out to Piper's music. I'm yeah. like, oh, Piper's first? Oh, it's, wait, it's Benoit. Yeah. What? Never mind. <laughs> so I thought they were going to have Giant be really smart and stay out. Instead, they have Giant just attack Boatman and get dominance of the match. They really put him over. They sell like hell for him. They only ever get one or two punches in before Giant just throws them across the ring. I always thought though when a big man is throwing someone around like this, why not just throw him out of the ring? Like you're throwing them literally all the way across the ring. <laughs> At one stage, Hall goes up for the 10 punches and I swear he almost throws him all the way out of the ring from across the ring. I, it's wrestling game psychology. You, you've got you've to break them down first before they'll actually fall out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, this match in particular, you have to throw the, any logic you know at any point in your life. Just throw it out. Put those beer goggles on right now because a lot of the shit that we're talking about right now will make zero sense. Yeah. Benoit gets hit by a choke slam right as the timer gets below a minute. Bizarrely, Hall breaks up the pin. Okay. Yeah. okay. Giant then eliminates himself right before the next members come in. He goes for a big shoulder block into the corner against Hall. Hall ducks and Giant launches himself out of the ring over the top rope for the first elimination of the match. Uh, Jared is out for Team Piper. Macho out for NWO. Wait, sorry, Dave. For uh, before we go further, the, the, to yeah. show you how convoluted those rules are, the entire announce team are like, he's out? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's like a good solid 30 seconds of them going, wait, wait. Giant's been eliminated. What are they going to... What? How did this happen? Uh, you're like, they've explained this so many times and you still didn't get it. Yeah, I thought maybe like they just fucked it up and they didn't mention that particular part. Like, no, the buffer clearly says it and they've said it other times. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I the announce nothing. team doesn't really cop it properly until buffer says he's eliminated. Says it. Yeah. So yeah, buffer, he's, he announces each elimination, which I guess is fine. Although he misses a lot of them. Yeah. And entrance. Well, he misses mm-hmm. some entrances because while there's no music for anyone else beyond this point, they do have the weird voiceover guy for some of the WCW stuff. Next out for it is Macho, and they, they say Macho Man or something during his entrance, and it interferes with what Buffer's saying, because Buffer's like, next out for NWO, and then the NWO voice guy will say something, and he has to stop and wait for it to stop, and then finish his sentence. I, I thought that was part of his music. <laughs> yeah, they don't do music for any of the other guys, which I yeah, guess makes sense. Just yeah. the NWO voice guy. Why is that there? <laughs> Next group we get in with Buffer announcing them all. We get Jared for Team Piper, Macho for NWO, and Luger for WCW. And nothing much happens till the next people come in. Luger kind of gets his hot spot and hits some high spots on some of the guys until he gets cut off by Hall. Next, Mongo is out for Team Piper, Nash for NWO, and Steiner for WCW. So the last member of WCW, they're already down to two people. Steiner kind of gets to shine here, hits a bunch of suplexes, no sells, a bunch of punches, because no one really knows what they're doing, while people stand in the corner. This point actually really pissed me off, though, because yeah. we have Scott Steiner here. You know, he cuts a promo on Hall and Nash about taking out his brother, putting him in the hospital. They were involved in a car crash last month. Outsiders screwed them out of the tag team titles. Like, this should be the big moment. You know, let's, let's get him. Come on. What does he do? He goes right after Benoit and Jared. <laughs> yeah, he gets For Jared. fuck's sake. I'm just saying, if I walked into a ring with all those big guys, I would target Jared as well. 
That's terrifying <laughs> of all the men in that I mean, But yeah, he just goes straight for the, the four horsemen. It's no wonder the NWO took over because they can never stay united against each other either. Like, these guys are supposed to be against the NWO and they can't even last, like, 20 seconds in a ring without kind of going, ah, fuck it, let's just attack each other. Yeah. And at this point, it's very Royal rumble kind of nonsense. No one's really doing anything until eliminations. Well, the, the big difference here, though, Dave, is Randy Anderson has to be in the ring, so he just has to, like, constantly dodge everybody. It's like, man, I <laughs> yeah. would not want his job for a match like this because he has to stay in the match just to, to, to count. If some, yeah, for pins. Yeah. So it was really weird trying to ha- like have him fit in the ring. Yeah, it was kind of non- nonsense for sure. Next eliminations happen kind of out of nowhere. As nothing really happens, Nash eliminates Jarrett with a big clothesline before we get Mongo being eliminated by a back body drop by Hall to the outside, which looked kind of cool. I think Mongo did well taking that bump. And we're already down to two members for Team Piper. Ne- next uh, members are about to come out, and just as Piper comes out, Steiner then gets just big booted out of the ring by Nash unceremoniously. These eliminations coming hard and fast as the match gets whittled down. Hogan doesn't come out with Piper, takes his time, and another timer comes up on the screen for like a couple seconds. So I'm like, does Hogan get his own timer? But then Hogan makes his way out of the ring and the timer disappears. So a bit of bad communication by production probably there. Hogan is out with Rodman. Rodman is holding a title and has a magnificent fluffy hat, NWO hat on. Yeah, it's like Jamiroquai style, yeah. if you know what I'm talking yeah. about, the uh, virtual yeah. insanity video. <laughs> yeah, no, perfect. And he has a spray can, I think, under his arm that he's kind of showing as if it's a concealed weapon that he's not allowed to have there under his big jacket. Hogan showboats and does not get involved in the match for a while as Roddy kind of gets uh, a bit hot-headed in the ring and goes to his spots. Gets in after a while as the NWO take control of the match. It's just Piper, Benoit, and Luger against the full NWO. No one's been eliminated yet. Piper gets Hogan on a brawl to the outside, though, to a pop of the crowd. Typical Hogan-Piper stuff. Macho saves him. Rodman pulls down the top rope to help eliminate Piper when Hogan throws him into the rope. And the commentary team go crazy, saying that Rodman always had something to do with this match, and he was always their weapon. Piper tries to get his hands on Rodman, but all the guards, the kind of fake policemen break it up and eventually Hogan even though Piper isn't in the match anymore goes out to brawl with him a bit more with Rodman's and Macho's help I'm kind of getting a bit fed up of Piper's non-selling though brawl taking a punch and then just pretending it didn't happen is kind of getting a bit tiresome I don't know about you guys yeah a little bit I did like the spot of Piper getting eliminated the way he did um yeah the execution is not amazing or anything because you know Rodman's not a wrestler, so whatever, but after hearing the stipulations, all this convoluted crap that we have to hear about, I was actually sure that Team Piper was going to win, so I was actually kind of surprised about the elimination. Yeah, I was. I hadn't looked forward, forward to the next pay-per-view yet, so I was sure Piper was winning this to extend that feud, and was very surprised when he got eliminated. Thought that maybe they were going to give the rope to Benoit, but Benoit was still too mid-card at this stage, so at this point, I can't see anything else but NWO winning. Razor's Edge to Benoit... Again, pretty unceremoniously, no build-up. Gets him out of there. Really bad one as well. Sorry. Yeah, Nash has to help support him because he almost falls. It's not great. Maybe Scott had been drinking a bit that night, sadly. Yeah, I don't know if Benoit, like he, I don't know if he helped the situation either. Although Benoit's usually pretty good in the ring. So yeah, I'm going to go with Hall. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And now it's all versus Luger. 
Rodman's invited up to the apron to pose with Hogan, but doesn't get into the ring yet. Luger, though, gets his big spot here, reverses a jackknife, and runs wild on the NWO. He racks Macho, who taps immediately gets eliminated, clotheslines Nash out of the ring, racks Hall, immediately taps out as well, and it's just Hogan and Luger left. I kind of like this. Luger is probably still one of their top baby faces in the company at this stage, and the crowd do love his high spots. What do you guys think of this? Uh, I thought it was fine. Maybe it's a bit quick. Like, he does get rid of three people in probably less than 20 seconds. you got to have somebody come back, because if they just do a beatdown and then he just gets dumped or whatever, it's just going to look incredibly depressing to end another pay-per-view exactly the same. I kind of so. wish the other teams helped each other out a little bit, maybe to like eliminate one or two NWO yeah. members. But if they're going to do it this way, I guess this is the best way to do it. Luger is definitely the most believable. He's the most over for sure. And it was a good point too. I thought the NWO do a good job like selling their celebration. Uh, Rodman, he's loving the two sweets. He's too sweeting everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nash tries to run back into the ring and holds the referee, kind of hugs the referee for a very prolonged amount of time. This lets Rodman give, I think it's the spray can to Savage. Savage hits Luger with it. That gets the three count. That's the match over, which is kind of a, a weak ending. Why, why doesn't Hogan hit his finish? That's, yeah, that's what exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I don't understand why. Yeah. They, I mean, Hogan loves doing his leg drops, like nine leg drops at the end of pay-per-views. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Hogan just uh, didn't feel like bumping today, guys. It was really weird. I don't mind the finish. It just makes Luger look weak if you don't hit a finish on him. Spray cans, the most lethal weapon in WCW. No, that WCW belt, man. Take, take it out giant. The most impressive yeah. thing <laughs> is clearly to distract the referee because everybody did it tonight so uh, even when you didn't need to pretty sure there isn't a dq in this match either no I, there's nothing I'm pretty confident that, that you can't have dqs with that many people in the ring <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yet the match was like overall i think the match was kind of fine but why wasn't it just it's a battle royale and if these people win roddy gets his thing and if these people win nwo gets their thing and it leads to the exact same match with much less complications Pretty lame that WCW doesn't get a fourth member too. That would have been a cool yeah. surprise. Yeah, they could have they could yeah. have done any number of people really. And it well, pa- Paige, he's there. Yeah. He's he's been feuding with the NWO. All the members technically except Hogan. I mean, so it would have been great if they'd wanted him. to do it slightly differently. You could knock out Scott Steiner, have him go instead of Rick. They decide to run with three people, and then Scott shows up anyway at the end, and yeah. then. He gets to like run wild a little bit and then takes the pin because he's obviously destroyed from earlier in the night. Typical. That's such a typical angle that has been done a million times, but it's so fine for these situations. It just makes very little sense. It's like they felt like they had to, like they wanted to protect their WCW faces, but Giant looked like a moron. Luger got put out by a can and Steiner got put out by one big boot after not going after his arch enemies. They looked like idiots anyway. So I don't know who they were protecting with this like kind of handicap situation. There's also another thing they could have changed, but we'll run through what happened after the match because I think that's way more interesting than what happened in the match. We get a lot more posing with Rodman. Rodman even sprays Luger at the end of the match, which is nice. And he throws some slaps that Luger doesn't sell and also don't come close to hitting him. It was very. It looked like he was fanning his face. But as the NWO leave the ring... Another successful job. Ring is clear. Sting comes down from the rafters. Wouldn't have happened. Yeah, you're what? right. Well, we've come to 
the end of another event. You know, and let me also say this. Dream, you said that Rodman is not a wrestler. And I said, no, you're right, he's not. Yeah. But, oh my! Sting! Sting! Sting is here! Sting from the top! Come on, man! Battle up! Play Battle your up. cards! Do something! Who are you playing for? Boy, do something! Sting! Yes! All right! Go with it! Stay with the bat! Oh. He's got everybody! Yes! Tell him like it is. Thank you, Captain. Yes, talk sir. About, talk about the comeback Lex Luger made. Yeah. Look at this. Everybody thought Sting was a member of the NWO. It don't look like that now, does it? Oh, yeah. What a night. Gonna break his neck. Oh, man. Come on. Hall is down. Put him out, too. NWO members, for some reason, run back into the ring and Sting starts nailing them with the bat, hitting the uh, death drops on Hall, on Nash. Crowd are exploding. Biggest reaction I've heard, I think, since the initial NWO kind of angle, the first pay-per-view we've done. Points to bat Hogan after taking out Macho. Hogan says, put down the bat and we'll fight, which is a very not Hogan thing to do, right? It's very much in Hogan's character at this moment to... Run away. Sting, of course, obliges, drops the bat. Hogan gets in cautiously. Sting turns his back to him to show it's safe. Hogan comes into ring but gets beat down, death dropped, and that's where we're left. We're left with Hogan being nursed by Rodman as Sting stands tall in the middle of the ring, and this is what the fans have really been waiting for. It's what we've been waiting for, a pay-per-view where the NWO does not stand stand tall at the end. We've been asking for something different, finally. I, I, I did not know this moment. I mean, I knew no. Sting was involved in some way, but I didn't know this was how it went down. This was a major surprise. What else is a major surprise is when Sting came down from the rafters, it was really easy for him to take off his, like, his... Yeah, it was quick. I was going to point that out. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was quick and the action was immediate, where there's plenty of them we're going to point out in the future where he struggles for a little while to get the action going as people stare at him in his harness. But yeah, this was perfect, and as I said, crowd lost their minds. It was really well shot, too. I thought that another plus one for the WCW production crew. So I thought this whole moment was, I would say it's probably iconic. I don't know why I don't see much like these kind of shots on the highlight reels particularly, but this is what really starts the Starcade feud. I mean, we've had kind of like rumblings of where it's going to be, but like now it's like, it's going to be Sting and Hogan. We're going to be building up to it now. Yeah, I complained a couple weeks ago about who is the NWO building. Good heel factions are supposed to build excellent, sympathetic faces. And all of a sudden, this pay-per-view, we're getting DDP being very sympathetic and his meteoric rise to the top is coming. And Sting coming out and being huge, being so instantly over. We now have two genuinely believable faces you can build around in the next couple of years. And... I'm pretty excited for the next couple of pay-per-views, see how this works out. Yeah, I like it does end on the right note, finally, because I was getting extremely old to have exactly the same thing over and over and over. And I mean, they basically faked it out as well. You're maybe like 20 seconds off the pay-per-view just finishing and you're going, oh, really? <laughs> so I, I thought it was really well oh, yeah. done. I, Tony does a really good fake out. He's like, oh, well, that's the show. Like he starts to like, he sounds like he's going to wrap up the show too, which was a really nice touch, I thought, by Tony Schiavone. And I thought they sell the moment of Sting coming down really well too. 
Yeah, it also makes a lot of sense to me now when Piper gets eliminated in the match because there's some questions about why isn't it Piper versus Hogan and then the Rodman cheat happens. But I think if you have something that emotional at the end, it might steal a bit from the Sting moment where if you let the crowd know very like midway to the match, it was probably midway to early on in the match, that Piper is not winning, that that dream is over. It doesn't overshadow the Sting moment. It, it goes from very low your hero Piper not being, you know, not going for the title again to extremely high. And I think that's a pretty good emotional roller coaster. They're kind of creating moment they're creating. Yeah, I'll, if I can poke one small hole in this, I mean, why doesn't Sting come out a little bit earlier? But again, <laughs> put the beer goggles back on. Yeah. I, I just had, I had a lot of fun with this, could, this moment. Could you imagine him actually getting into the ring while that match was still going on? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I would have kind of liked Sting as the fourth man, right. but then you would have had to have the NWO losing not mean so much. Again, they kind of booked themselves into a corner with you're not allowed to wrestle for three years. It's ridiculous. And this is cool. Like This is the birth of one of the most iconic non-WWF wrestlers I can think of. This, this guy. Uh, I mean, this he's, he's already iconic. It's just this version of him. I think this version yep. is the version that's remembered most just because of how popular wrestling is at this mm. moment. I guess, I guess, yeah. All his good matches are before this, though. <laughs> yes, that, that, that is definitely a thing. He had the Cactus Jack matches before this. The best matches ever. Mm, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, guys, the question is coming up again. Whose side are you on? Gus, after this pay-per-view, who are you siding with? The Stinger, obviously. He's the, had the biggest the biggest impact by far. I, I mean, I guess it's technically WCW. He's definitely not NWO, so. But definitely Stinger. Cotter, who are you siding with? Uh, I'm actually going with NWO. I mean, it's 1997. Dennis Rodman joins the group. I have to go with a homer pick. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you would. I thought you'd go with the, the Chicago Bulls, essentially. As for me, my answer is anyone that isn't a four horsemen. This iteration <laughs> of the horsemen is not entertaining and is not clever and probably didn't need to be there. But I guess I'm going to go Stinger as well. I, I'm liking Stinger. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in some big matches. Do you want to give us an overall thought of the pay-per-view? Where does it rank in what we've watched so far, Connor? I actually enjoyed the show mostly. I mean, again, I just have to think this was the mid-90s. People are enjoying the hell out of this. Wrestling is starting to get really hot. At first glance, I was like, ah, this pay-per-view is kind of crap. But like, ah, I, I still enjoyed most of it. I mean, the Prince Ray match was such a slog to get through. Main event made no sense, but I, st- I still enjoyed the ending, though. And Dean, again, best match of the card. Love you, Dean. You always keep me entertained somehow. Fergus, what did you think of the pay-per-view overall? Yeah, I thought it was okay. First half of it, say, is is pretty decent. A Glacier match that is far better than it has any right to be. And then, like, the second third of the pay-per-view is one of the worst stretches, I think, you have to get through. And then the main event's okay with, with a good finish and a, a bit of an iconic moment. Uh, mostly it's I have trouble with pay-per-view because it's a lot of it's retread it feels like I'm watching a previous pay-per-view already but it's fine it's definitely not nearly as bad as some of the other ones in in one word I think I'd describe it as watchable I think if we looked over all our pay-per-views we've done so far this is actually in the upper echelons but that's probably speaking more for WCW quality of pay-per-views than this actual pay-per-view yeah, I agree. I mean, most, a lot of the WWF pay-per-views in Attitude Era, they're not like... Oh, they're awesome. They're not yeah. great. Yeah, but I would definitely describe what how Dave just described it. They're watchable. Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, is, it is getting formulaic, and there's workhorse matches early on in the card. 
and then there's story matches later on. As long as we can avoid complete unwatchable matches like the Ray Prince match, we're doing well and there's probably only one complete unwatchable match on this card. And before we wrap it up today guys, I just wanted to give a big shout out to WCW Worldwide, gave us a few mentions on Twitter and we can't say how much we appreciate that. I'd go check them out if I were you. I think that's us for another edition of the WCW vs. NWO podcast. Please follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under the handle WCW vs. NWO podcast. Also, check out our bonus video episodes on Vimeo under the same handle. From me, Connor and Gus, thanks for listening, and join us next time where we find out if a diamond can cut through a Slim Jim. Yeah.